Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey everybody, it's Out of Darkness Into the Light, and uh, this is your host Dave, and I'm talking to uh, David Colham across the pond in the land of Great Britain. Hey Dave. And uh, have you heard me talk about the esoteric reason why they refer to your nation as Great Britain? Well, because of our uh, great empire, I'd imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the secret empire that's ruling the world. Yeah, that's definitely one theory. Do you believe I'm that sure. theory? Well, the, no, not particularly. <laughs> Doesn't stroke N- your ego at all. Doesn't stroke your ego at all, not even a little bit? Mm, not really, no. Okay. I think uh, managing the world would be a better term. Yeah, maybe they have a managerial role. Yeah, I think that's what it is. <clears throat> anyway, uh, We'll be going from subject to subject here. Whatever you want to talk about. It just, you know, uh, that one, uh, well, actually the last two calls that we did, uh, it'll just be like that. I'll just kind of play off your interests. Well, this I'll just bring up quickly. I know we're not going to get fully into cosmology right now. This is just something I came across. Um, Chris will find this interesting because he probably holds similar views to me. Now, I know that you think that uh, Eden is off to one of the, the east or the western um, land masses, yeah. correct? Just, just an east, yeah. Yeah, just an east. Well, I wouldn't really call it a proof text. I just came across something interesting today in Job. Um, now, you can't take this, you have to take this into the sort of grain of salt because this is Job talking in Job, which you know is mostly wrong most of the time. Um, talking about his, uh, his, uh, his friends? No, this is actually when Job's talking uh, in Job 23... Okay. Uh, well, I don't know if he's his, wrong, but his friends are in error. His friends are definitely <laughs> wrong, yes, yeah, and his wife, yeah. Um, no, it's just one little statement he makes where he's talking about, yeah, here we go, it's in Job 23, verses 5 to 10. Um, well, I'll start from this, I'll start from the beginning. Then Job replied, even today, my uh, complaint is bitter, his hand heavy in spite, my groaning. If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him, fill my mouth with arguments, and I would find out uh, what he would answer me, and consider what he would say. Would he oppose me with great power? No, would he not press charges against me? There an upright man could present his case before him, and I would be delivered for him forever, my judge. This is the interesting bit. Um, But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Now, you have to take it for what it's worth, because this is Job talking. But it does seem to imply that um, north would be the location where, the, where God would be found. So it, it clearly says in verse 9, where he is at work in the north, I do not see him. Okay. Now, uh, I which chapter have... is this? I'm familiar with this passage, you know. 
Job 23, uh, verses 5 to 10, I guess, or 5 to 9. But, um, okay, I'm looking right out of that. I just didn't, uh, I haven't seen the east-west stuff in here yet, or the east-north. I got it could just be my translation that I'm reading, but... Uh, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's in, in there. Yeah. Um, no, it's just interesting, because, I mean, I think, well, I didn't miss Chris's... Uh, we developed his ideas. We have both held him to the idea that Eden probably is in the very centre of the north, not to an eastern or western. Uh, where does it speak um, about uh, the west there? What verse is that? Um, well, it starts off in verse uh, 8. It says, but if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. And then it says, when he is at work in the north, I do not see him. And when you turn to the south... Yeah, Job 23. Hmm. I'm in Job. Yeah. Kings. Oh, no, wait a sec. I'm oh, in, I was in East Sword. Are you searched 23? Well, according to this Bible I've got here. Yeah, Job 23. And this I've got some weird. Um, yeah, it's the book of Job. I was yeah. on East Sword, so. It's, yeah, 23 verses, well, it starts in verse 8, I suppose, verse 8 and 9, but it's the whole section, because he's talking about okay. kind of buying God. Yeah, I see it in my uh, study Bible here. Yeah, well, he's talking about trying to find God, obviously, and he's saying basically he's not in the east and the west, but when he does work, he's, he can't even see him in the north. Um uh-huh. Okay, something's going on. I got the English Standard Version, and it says uh, it's not. You say it's not saying the West. It says oh, okay. I go forward, but he is not there. So I'm going to have well, to look into this. This is why I wasn't seeing it because. Um, to be honest, I haven't. I was just reading this today, and I came across it, so I haven't actually checked out other versions yet. Well, um, it's good that we uh, we saw this because I didn't know that there was uh, a difference there in a translation like that. I would think that um, it probably should be translated as West. But anyway, um, oh, yeah. so, I, I hold to the belief, which I could be wrong about. I've talked to Chris about this, that in certain contexts in Scripture, when it's talking about the North, there's a sacred North. And I don't mm-hmm. think hardly anybody's ca- uh, caught up on this. And um, the basis for this, so this is a little bit complex, but it, it talks about... Um, I don't know if it's Isaiah 14 off the top of my head or whether it's Ezekiel 28, but it talks about the heights of Zaphon. That's an interesting word, but it has to do with this this concept of a sacred north. Yeah. I mean, you you can study Zaphon. It's also also equated to the sort of sacred mountain, the same idea as Mount Olympus. Mm -hmm. And from what I've looked into and what Chris has, I've seen that Chris has looked into, um, it seems like it's the most likely position for it would be the dead center North Pole. If, if well, wait, on certain cosmologies, uh, North would actually be above. This would not be true. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. I suppose you could take it for that. I mean, I'd have to look into the translations more. But um, that's, that's my view. I mean, it's all dependent on the uh, the cosmology. You know, if your cosmology I mean, you crashes, then that's not going to be true anymore. But see, yeah, here's yeah, the I mean, thing. Here's the thing, Dave. You get the simple, still... basic concept, okay? In Scripture, um, heaven is up and earth is down, right? Yeah. 
that yeah, is but the he's not concept about for north being up. He south would be down. Um, yeah. Now, if you start playing around with flat Earth, that's not going to work. At least I don't think it would work. Uh, Unless north always maybe it would towards no. the center. The flat Earthers, they try to say it's the four directions. Well, I don't think that. I think north to the center, south is going uh -huh. outwards. Then you still have problems with east and west because they would just be arbitrary points somewhere. So I got to admit, I have not, I've not thought about this. Um, did it, but you did saw it the updated maps I gave you, the the ones I sketched talking out. Talking about Job twenty three, did it mention the east there? Yeah, I mean, I am reading the NIV version, and it says you're reading the NIV. If I get, <laughs> yeah, it's okay, just well, when I, I I'm not real down on the NIV like other people. No, it's what I happen to have in front of me. I was reading it today, and I came across it. I, like I said, I haven't actually checked it out in any other versions. I've got it up. Here we go. Uh, let's see okay, it doesn't in. say that in the uh, King James either. No, it I, doesn't. I'm a little scared to the left and to the right. That, that, that yeah, is, uh, I'm the to... Let me look in the Septuagint. I'm you should always check the Septuagint. What do you have in there, then? Uh, it doesn't say east and west or west either, but, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, passages in Job that are difficult to translate because uh, the, the language is ambiguous, and sometimes it's archaic, even for Hebrew or whatever. Yeah, I'll have to look into it, then. Uh, I still think it's worth looking into, though. But yeah, yeah, all, because, all, I mean, all those passages where it's talking about a west or an east or north, anything like that, we all those all need to be reconsidered because they're being filtered through a modern heliocentric cosmology, just like uh, you no, know, modern okay. scholars. Um, and they don't make a big thing out of this. They think that Atlantis is a mythical place, but um, they would assume that the Greeks were trying to place it in Atlantic Ocean. That's simply not true because they're trying to filter it through a modern. Oh, yeah, you're going to have these sort of translating errors. But, I mean, at the same time, we're going to have the same problem when we actually read those words, where we're putting meanings to them. See, there's a good example. I, I talk about how these guys typically can't think out of, a, out of a box. When I say that, you know, you have conformity of belief. That would be an odd idea, but they're just simply missing the point there. You have to do that through an ancient Greek uh, cosmology. And they had, like I said before... Um, <clears throat> I actually think there was a conspiracy to turn Oceanus into a world encircling river because you will see two different uh, opinions on, uh, you know, like on Google, okay? And obviously yeah. one cheated the other, and I think that they, I think they dumbed it down and turned it into a, a larger river. I don't think they originally believed that. Well, I, I know that the other cultures didn't. So what does that tell you? And it doesn't have to be uh, conspiracy yeah. because there is a devolution in information over time. People people do forget things, you know. <clears throat> it's happening with us. Uh -huh. Well, yeah. It's how I get older. <laughs> so I'm going to look into that, and I'm I want to see what we you know. What you could do, you could just go there uh, in uh, verse nine. Go to Esword. And uh, yeah, I will. I'll hear the translations. Um, That's what you want to do initially. Um, okay, the international standard version, which is a good one. It's, it does say uh, north and uh, and south. So there you go. There's something there. 
Yeah, another one too is uh, north and south. Yeah. Because you saw my updated maps, well, the sketches I sent you, I'm guessing, where Asian place. Because I actually believe it's superior, but sometimes it's it's actually inferior to the Masoretic text. You, know, you got people out there that think it's superior all the time. That's not true. It's and, and, it's and it, it, it appears to to quote the text that the Masoretic uh, is based on at least a couple times. It doesn't always quote the Septuagint. There's a couple of instances where it it appears the Masoretic is superior. You know when it's quoting mm -hmm. the Old Testament. Yeah. So, but they're both worth checking out. I think at the end of the day, but. Like I was just mentioning on that uh, show we did on Eastern Orthodoxy that um, I mean, they have their own mindset over there and they just think, you know, Septuagint, Septuagint, you know, the 70 uh, translators were inspired by God. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't believe that. I mean, that's, 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 that's a bunch of nonsense. How could you prove something like that anyway? But see, I'm at the point, as a deep conspiracist, I don't even think there was 70 translators. I think that's based on some statements from Philo, the Alexandrian philosopher, you know, he was a and uh, I think he was a, a genuine historical figure. What do you think about that? But I don't think Josephus was. So, okay. On to the next thing. Um, yeah, that was just a minor thing. Um, the other thing, I mean, we were chatting back and forth on Facebook a bit about the Exodus. I was asking you whether you thought it would be an essential repeat. So a lot of people that would start out on the Exodus, that generation might not necessarily make it. Uh, no, not, I wouldn't believe that at all. Um, you wouldn't think that? No, it won't be like, everything will be uh, superior. Uh, things, it, as a general rule, things will be done the right way. Uh, yeah, but you'd still imagine you'd still have similar issues of people essentially complaining, like during, it's a time of uh, refining, essentially, isn't it? Well, you know, you, know, you start off like. kind of an idealistic uh, mindset. It's all going to be good and wonderful this time. But it's pretty obvious under cursory examination of uh, Ezekiel 20. That, that is absolutely not true. But, uh, you know, you mentioned in a Facebook text that God's going <laughs> to destroy everybody for, except for a couple people. I don't, I don't believe that at all. I'm yeah, kind of know. mysterious why that happened in the first place. Well, mostly <clears throat> because of the bad report. I mean, that's what it seems to be in the text, isn't it? I mean, and nobody don't, wanted... Don't people that he's doing this to. I mean, you know, I mean, Christians just don't... They don't think critically about this God. Like, it's like, you know, well, he's the... He's to be the honest, I mean... Sacred cow, obviously. Sorry, if you're, God. But, yeah, I know, um, but if you're following him around for that period of time, I mean, you, you almost expect it to be a bit more faithful. I mean, you've got signs and wonders happening daily. Your food's being, you know, dropped you know, in the form of manna from heaven. Um, it doesn't seem too unreasonable to trust in them. Well, I talked about that on the show. I've talked about that several times, is that human beings are highly adaptable, and uh, miracles do not induce holiness. They don't... Uh, well, this is my point. So why would you think it... Why would you think... It, uh, well, he's just going to do it anyway. And But his people, somewhat curiously suffered from ongoing corruption. They were never delivered from that. I said on the show also that the height that they reached was, I would think it was under the time of Moses, because Moses spoke with God and took orders to correct things. After that, um, all through history, 
just up at the time of the apostles. I mean, they were dealing with the remnant, right? So it's a different situation because the other people didn't listen to them, see. So it's, it's apples and oranges there. But, I mean, um, after that, you had problems with an authoritative, uh, uh, you know, leader. Now, you could say, well, what about... Um, <clears throat> right after Moses. Well, that's when the deterioration started, you know, with Joshua. He wasn't on the same level as... Uh, is Moses, because it says that in Scripture that God spoke to him face to face. Didn't say it about anybody else in history, you know. So things, the slide started happening, and there was things that always need to be corrected, and always had a, a problem somewhere. You know, the human enemy. People started rejecting the authoritative prophet. You know, uh, it was difficult to do that with Moses, especially after God backed him up over and over again. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you reject him, and you're you're in trouble with with God. You see, so things started deteriorating, and they they had ongoing corruption, and it, it everything got worse, degenerated. So that's that's your religion right there. It's it's a uh, it's it's a, a religion that suffers from ongoing corruption, and Christians need to recognize that. That's the, that's God's people in the Bible. This is very mysterious why He allowed all this. I said on the show that they'd never had any kind of national repentance. Uh, they never had uh, any kind of significant restoration that affected the people holistically. When that isn't happening, it's because God's withholding sufficient grace. So you're going, why is he doing this? And what it actually does, Dave, is it confirms my position that God's trying to illustrate something. So he's trying to illustrate hmm. something historically in this grand scheme that involves the corruption of man. Observe man. You see, there's a reason why the angels are referred to as watchers. They're watching everything. And we forget. We think this is all about man. It's not. It's like, here's a scenario. God says, watch what I do with man and observe. And then he allows them to become progressively corrupt. And the angels stand there and sh- you know, scratch their head and go, wow, man, these guys are really out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> And you know, what's he up to here? And he's not even telling them. He said, watch what I do. Well, look at where I'm going. You know, because the angels, they have partial knowledge, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they have a desire to look into certain things that um, that God explains to prophets. You know, so they don't, they don't know everything. It talks about that in Matthew 24, where they have partial knowledge, <clears throat> along with the Son of God, somewhat curiously. Christians don't want to acknowledge that either, but... <clears throat> Anyway, so that's probably the best verse there in uh, Ezekiel uh, 20, because it goes into detail about that. So there is going to be a a judgment um, against his people. It says in verse 36, As I entered into judgment with with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you declares the Lord God. I'm just reading this for other people. That, yeah, that's my, that was my point, because obviously the judgment was quite severe in the, mm-hmm. in the Exodus. Well, there, see, it's not making a distinction. He's saying, I'm going to judge you as I judge them. Because you have and, the, bad report, uh-huh. the bad report in Numbers 13, don't you? Um, we have uh, Caleb and... Um, uh, is it Josh, uh, Joshua and Caleb? I can't remember. I know it's Caleb. Uh, you know, the spies report where they basically come back and, you know, they say we can take the land and there's essentially still um, 
uh, nestling there or whatever. <clears throat> and then none of the people really want to go. And then I think it's later, here we go, in numbers 14 somewhere, where God's basically saying to them, you know, like you saw me pillars of fire and, yeah, you're, yeah, he's talking about basically all the things he's doing for them. And then he sort of lets that generation um, stay there, doesn't he? So none of them actually see the land. So you don't think it will be that sort of severe then? No, everything will be improved. It, there's a simple basic uh, concept you know, when it talks about two times in the book of Isaiah, behold, I will do something new. Yeah. New thing that he does. And guess what it has to do with? It's the new covenant. That's what it, See, the new covenant has to do with the restoration of Israel. You can see this very clearly in Jeremiah 31. Like I said before, if you want to believe you're under the new covenant, that's fine. But you're going to, have, you're going to be forced if someone asks you the right questions, which scholars don't do. Okay. That we can only be under it partially. So I, I'm not going to worry about somebody who thinks they're under the New Covenant, because almost every Christian that I've ever met believes that, but it's not something that will hold up under a cursory examination of Scripture. It just collapses immediately. For instance, the reason we got into this mess is because of replacement theology. What they're doing, they're going to Jeremiah 31, and they see they're not taking it literally. They're applying that to the church. Now, have you gone to uh, Jeremiah 31? Have you looked at that passage? Um, uh, let's have a look now. It, you know, it actually talks about the New Covenant. So see, this is a good example to illustrate how they're they're twisting the text. And oh, they're doing, yeah. They're, they're doing the same thing. Well, this is the historical view of the church. They did the same thing as the Watchtower Society. The Roman Catholic Church developed this view that um, that they're the new Israel based on the premise that there's a spiritual Israel, which means there's two Israels, and God has rejected the old. This is what the Watchtower teaches. And then what they do is they spiritualize all these passages, because you're going to have to, that's a good example right there. When you read that, you go, you can't take this literally. Uh, wow. It doesn't fit with the amillennial view. Uh, yeah, the amillennial yeah. view, at the, at the end of the age, there's no, there's, there's no time if you came at it with an unbiased look, though, you'd almost be forced to take it literally, because I mean, it, it starts Jeremiah 31 with, <clears throat> "At that time, declares the Lord, I will be, you know, the God of all families of Israel; they shall be my people." Thus says the Lord, uh, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when it <clears throat> went to find its rest, the Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, "I have loved you with everlasting love; therefore, I have drawn you in with." Uh, loving kindness. Again, I will build you, and you'll be rebuilt, a virgin of Israel. I mean, it's quite apparent it's the Lord talking. It, it's not. I don't see how you could take that allegorically or spiritualize it. He's. It's a direct. It's directly from the Lord. Yeah. He's stating it. But what I'm trying to oh, say... I mean, this happens with all sorts of things, doesn't it? You can right? go ahead and read that if you want, but if, if you read it, you'll see there are things that have not occurred. I mean, they're future events, and uh, you mm -hmm. can just take them literally, and you, everything is going down, going to go down in flames once you take them literally, because it's obvious that they have not um, been fulfilled. And this is really amazing, because it illustrates how Christians are so unfamiliar with their Bible. And so, yeah, what they I mean, did... They served up a literal uh, alternative in the 19th, you know, 19th century with dispensationalism. But it's the same old thing. It's based on uh, two Israels again. 
and now they're taking all the passages away from you and applying them from Israel, to Israel. Before they were giving you the passages, but they were twisting them, and that's another way of taking them away from you because they don't. None of them apply literally. Isn't that isn't that curious? Yeah. Basically, what they did. This is like a satanic scheme to steal every single scripture away from God's people. One way is to take them spiritually. Another way is to take them literally, but apply them to Israel and actually rapture you and the church into heaven at the beginning yeah, of the well, tribulation period. And after that is when these passages start to be fulfilled with the literal Jewish bloodline really, yeah, on the earth. This is, it's diabolical. Yeah, well, I don't believe that. Absolutely diabolical. It's I mean, obviously, you will have people left, but that's going to be the, the martyrs. Oh, yeah. <sighs> yeah, I, I didn't mean that, you know, that, I mean, that, I, 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 I understand their, their teaching and stuff like that, and I would believe that, too. But, uh, yeah, there's supposed to be uh, what they call, you know, Gentiles who will actually, they're supposed to be, uh, despite the persecution, there's supposed to be a considerable no number of them, obviously, that convert. But because they realize they've been left behind. Yeah, exactly. It seemed logical. But now it's going mean, to be that, everything done the hard way. Yeah. I mean, at that point, it's going to be blindly obvious to most people, so they've got a choice to make. You want to keep reading that? or Because uh, I, I was going to yeah, read I mean, Ezekiel 20. You can go ahead and read that. Ezekiel 20? I thought we were on Jeremiah 31. Go ahead and read Jeremiah 31. We need to read more. Scripture around. Yeah, I, I got down to verse 4, and again, I will build, <coughs> build you, and you will uh, be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. Mm -hmm. Again, you will take up your tambourines and go forth to the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you'll plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The planters will plant and will enjoy them. For there will be a day when the watchmen on the hills of Ephraim call out, Arise, and go, let's go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and shout amongst the chiefs of the nations. Proclaim, <laughs> proclaim give praise, and... Oh, sorry, the page has just reordered itself, and I've completely lost where I am. Well, you know, when you were sorry. talking there about the tambourines and Samaria, see how diabolical that is to, to, uh, to spiritualize that and apply it to the church? I mean, it's absolutely absurd. Yeah, I mean, it clearly states. I mean, it doesn't I mean, really mean Samaria. Okay. So it's, it's, uh, tell yeah, me, yeah. Mr. Replacement Theologian, what, what is the deep, profound spiritual meaning of that text? You know something? They don't have an answer. They say, well, right, I'd have so. to look at a Bible commentary. You know what happens when you look at the Bible commentaries? They all contradict themselves. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got a, a load of different ones. and. Because there's no authoritative opinion on that. It's, it's never going to be one. It's just a massive confusion. You'd have, I mean, you'd have to have some... Obviously, if the text is that has that obscure of a spiritual application, you're going to have to have... See, this is an example where you're going to have to have extra-biblical revelation to define the text, because the text itself is not going to define itself. We were talking about that with um, the guy interested in Eastern Orthodoxy. The Bible doesn't mm -hmm. interpret itself. Protestants well, no, don't really understand this, man. I mean, outside the context itself, somebody has to interpret the Bible. So that, I mean, they use that in the Eastern Church. That's part of what they call a tradition. I actually don't have a big problem with that, because you're always going to have a tradition of interpretation. That's what they're talking about. But Protestants freak out about that. 
And, but this shows so, you the problem of trying mind, to interpret it without extra-biblical revelation. You can't, yeah. you can't do it. I mean, Protestants might not like it, but they are doing that anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, their tradition is like, I mean, for instance, you have the King James only people. I mean, they have their tradition of interpretation already. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, whether, whether they want to admit it or not. I mean, they have an anti-tradition uh, mindset. They're not even thinking because everybody has traditions. Your traditions may be six months old. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Did you find the, uh, yeah. the text there again? Yes, yeah, so I accidentally scrolled back two pages. I've got a touch screen, and if you press the wrong area of the screen, so I'm just going to not use that anymore. It oh. just uh, flips the page back. So I'll just go find where I was. I think it was in about verse 7. Yeah, I was talking about, yeah, I'll read from verse 6. But there will be a day when the watchmen on the hills of Ephraim call out, Arise and go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chiefs of nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I am bringing them forth from the north country, and I will gather them from the right parts of the earth. Among them, <laughs> the blind and the lame, the woman with the child, she who is in labor with child, together, a great company, they will return here. With weeping they will come, and by supplication I will lead them. I will make them walk by streams of waters, on a straight path in which they will not stumble. For I am father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Why don't you stop right there, okay? Um, that's talking about the Exodus, you see that? Yeah, yeah, obviously. Does everyone see that? They're moving from point A to point B, and God's guiding them. Okay, but I didn't... Uh, I'm going to go back. What did you start reading at there? Uh, verse 7 is one I picked up again. Okay, and well, it, the whole way through, it's clearly saying... The I don't Lord's talk about this as much, but in verse... Um, I'm well aware of this, but verse 2 is one of the primary passages I use to refer to this wilderness place, protection place. Yeah. There's going to be, there's going to be, there's going to be a threat, and uh, it talks about that. You see the parallel. Um, it talks about that in Jeremiah 30. Everybody's familiar with it. It says it will be a time of, of trouble for Jacob. You know, Jacob's trouble. Everybody's mm-hmm. heard that, right? That's in, that's in Jeremiah 30. And then right after that, it talks about how God's going to break the yoke off their neck. See, these people are in bondage. You know who that is? Us. Yeah. And we'll, we'll tear off their bonds, and no longer will foreigners enslave them. These are people who don't even know they're enslaved. And it's then it like says, instead they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. They don't understand that either. These people are basically clueless. I, I point that out over and over again. Over and over again. Okay, so that's the context, and so it's talking about the time of Jacob's trouble. So in Jeremiah 31, 2, it says the people who survive the sword, there's going to be a slaughter, okay? Yes. Will find favor where? In the wilderness. That's the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is two different things, okay? Um, I, yeah, it's Isaiah 43 where it's talking about... See, the wilderness in the larger concept is just the entire Exodus journey. Just like the first time. But in, in a more narrower context, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the wilderness among the uh, nations in uh, Ezekiel 20. And obviously what's referred to... Place of protection. 
You see that? Yeah, Revelation 12, uh, 6 as well, where it's talking about the woman uh, fleeing to the wilderness. Yeah, absolutely. It's a place to be prepared for, by God. And Revelation. also, um, that's probably what it's talking about in Hosea 2, where it says, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. It doesn't really define it. Uh, mm -hmm. It could be both. It doesn't have to be either one. But he's bringing her to place of protection. Go ahead. The original point I was making was, I mean, obviously, every time the, I mean, this Exodus pattern repeats, the same process is happening. It's a coming out of bondage and slavery, and then a refinement process by God. Mm -hmm. Well, what Christians don't understand is that this happened is a historical prototype on a smaller scale uh, in the first century, and it also happened, guess when? Uh, when they came back from uh, exile in Babylon. Now, this is mm -hmm. interesting. Because, see, the, the, the theologians, the Bible commentators, they have a replacement theology mindset. Most of the good comment, uh, Bible commentaries historically have been influenced by uh, Calvinistic interpretation. They're always replacement theology, historically. Yeah. Okay. So what they're doing, they're taking these passages that we're looking at, and <laughs> they're doing one of two things, or they're doing both. They are applying them to the historical event in a distant past that has to do with the Jews. You see that? Yeah. I mean, or, or they're spiritualizing them, but they don't have a future fulfillment. You see that? Obviously, as you know, well, now anyone that looks into that, I mean, it's quite obvious that it wasn't God that brought them back into the lands. Mm -hmm. um, it's the, you know, the rules of this earth. Because <clears throat> he clearly says over and over again, he's the one that's going to be doing it. Mm hmm. Well, he worked through Cyrus. It does talk about this in places like, uh, well, there's there's two primary passages there in the book of uh, Isaiah. I mean, God says he's, he's going to do this, and he's going to do it through Cyrus. And I actually hold to the view that Cyrus, who was a you know pagan king in Persia, he actually converted, you may not have ever heard this view, but he converted uh, to Judaism, mm -hmm. if you want to call it that. Um now, the Talmud actually teaches that. You know, the Talmud <laughs> is, um, people need to know this, but it, it, a lot of it is just commentary of different uh, authoritative rabbis. It's not, it doesn't have an authoritative opinion. Christians no, I mean, it's just added to and added to, isn't it? They don't have a problem with that. They say, well, what, what do you think? You know, well, here's my opinion. You know, in the, in the West, everything is, here's the way it is. It's all, you know, scripted for you. And are you going to believe this or not? That's the difference I, mean, I talk about between the Eastern and the, and the Western mind there. I mean, they don't have a problem with, you know, an authoritative theory. <laughs> That's why we're always fighting back and forth, because we, we are so convinced that, you know, my opinion is right. They don't have that attitude over there. Says, well, you know, they respect your opinion, even though they do think that you're right, but we don't really respect other people's opinions. I think you would get frustrated with all the confusion. Anyway, yeah, and uh, so he says, they will find favor in the wilderness, and I will come to give rest to Israel. But see, what I wanted you to read is starting in uh, farther on, because you're going to be reading an awful lot there. And eventually, um, it starts talking about Ephraim, which is uh, apostate, because uh, Ephraim is the northern tribes. Sometimes they're called Samaria. It yeah. talks about uh, that in verse 18. So you, I mean, you can skip all that, but what you can do is you can start reading here in um, verse 27. Why don't you do that? Uh, okay. 
Okay. Yeah, okay. I'll do a little and Just before you do that, you know, I've read this passage. Oh, yeah, but he talks about the Exodus uh, again uh, in verse 21. It says, set up road signs and put up guideposts. Take note of the highway, the road that you take. I mean, they're traveling. You see, replacement theology says, well, that's, you know, it's just a spiritual journey. No. <laughs> no. Return, O virgin Israel. Return to your towns. How long will you wander, O unfaithful daughter? Now, you know who he's referring to? Us. Mm-hmm. See, if you go with this one Israel theory and reject what the Roman church came up with and the watchtower and dispensationalism, aha, you getting suspicious now? But I've never heard anyone say this except for Dave. Oh, no. They go, oh, go back I'm... to propaganda again. You will hear some of these uh, thoughts within the, uh, you know, the sort of Jewish roots um, movement. Yes, they have alternative opinions there. Uh, they're very, um, they're able to think out of the box, but I, they I mean, uh, I think they're lacking, uh, they're lacking things. Um, oh yeah, going no, on that. Came, they're confused too. They got all kinds of different opinions. They, now, they actually talk about that. They say that, um, you know, it's something new. They believe that God's guiding them, and it's something new that has started, like a, a, a tree sapling. And, and that that would be in the past. But that God is growing this, you know, and we're going somewhere, and they have the sense that I mean, God I've is guiding across, them. And that's true to a sense, you know. I've come across this idea before, obviously, because I think a lot of prophecy and everything is uh, cyclical. Cyclica, or as I've described it before, like a, almost like a fractal. So you have the same pattern over and over again, becoming more intense each time. Um, I, but I specifically heard this mentioned before. I think Rob Skiba brought it up, not in one of his podcasts, but for a while he was doing um, just like a Bible study show. Who's that? Where he was just lit- uh, Rob Skiba when he was just. Oh, sure. <clears throat> A couple of years ago, he did. Um, he went through the whole of the Old Testament as a. It was a Bible study, a couple of hours each week. Um, and he, during the studies, he just had various people on, everyone would throw in their opinions and stuff. It was interesting to listen to. But they actually came to this conclusion as well, that it's, um, it's talking about us being on the... But the, I mean, that's the same thing. He was, it's this sort of Jewish roots thing, because that's when he got heavily into the sort of, you know, looking at um, all the feasts of the Lord, all that kind of thing, and how they're all just basically reminders about what's going to be happening in the future. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, the I, I'm all familiar with uh, Rob Skiba. And uh, he has some interesting commonalities with me. There's a there's an overlap, and uh, there's a lady in the background that convinced that he's an agent. <laughs> uh, to the point where yeah. I think he's he was actually on Facebook saying that he was an agent in front of other people, and uh, I, I don't get involved in that kind of stuff. I have a radio show, so I have to tone everything down. So that's why we have you on here. So you can say that people are, are agents and get away with it. Well, I don't. I don't think Rob Skeeter is an agent. He seems like a quite genuine guy to me. I mean, uh-huh. I've been following him for a while, and he does seem like he's genuinely actually searching for truth. Um, he got all involved with the uh, the flat Earth controversy. Oh, he uh, he certainly did. Yeah, uh-huh. he certainly. I mean, he, he obviously. I mean, he has examples. He has people like Doc Marquis on, so you have to question things like that. When you talk about these type of people, one of the problems is, is they have they have followers, and as soon as they hear you talking about them, what they do, they immediately email their hero, 
and they want them to uh, hear about what was said about you on a podcast. And uh, if yeah. there's someone like Michael Heiser, they probably can't get sufficiently interested because they just have their mind on other things. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? What people want is imagine. controversy. They want drama. They have a young yeah. following, and a lot of these young followers, they don't think critically. And there's an easy way to prove that. This is not a theory. Notice how little they question their hero or critique, or critique him. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's an obvious, I mean, everyone falls into that trap. They want a belief system to uh, identify with, and, yeah. hey, you got one out of the box, you know. But now, I mean, I, yeah, are they I right about everything? No. Yeah, I don't agree with you on everything. I don't agree with, on him with everything. I was just basically pointing out, um, I've come across this idea before, um, uh -huh. through uh, following along on his Bible studies of the Old uh, Testament a couple of years back. Now, um, now there's a great more. show right there. Uh, to talk about, it's like people are unwilling to do this for some reason, but talk about the points where you disagree with me. That would be a great show. Oh, uh, on, on lots of stuff, I'd imagine. Um, but we hold enough common ground that uh, we can talk. But like, like I've said to you before on podcasts, it's not worth uh, splitting hairs over things we can't really be sure of at the end of the day. It's, it's both our pet theories. I mean, we're infallible humans. We could well be wrong. I, mean, so well, I was I, just I, talking I, to Johnny today about how my beliefs are always changing. I've said on the show, and this is what I was telling him, yeah, I'm being kind of funny, you know, that we're all, uh, I actually believe this, but it sounds funny, and it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I actually do believe it. We're all being deprogrammed, and you're gonna, you're supposed to deprogram yourself for the rest of your life. And mm -hmm. so uh, it's per it's inconsistent to claim that, you know, you 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 got this all this figured out, because if, if you really are de deprogramming yourself, you're going to be changing uh, your views. And, and I'm doing that, whether it shows up on this show or not, people in the background, it actually gets a little disconcerting sometimes. It's like, Dave, yeah. you changed your... I thought you knew what you are talking about there, Dave. See, that's the mentality. You know what? You know where that mentality comes from, by the way? The local church setting where the pastor rarely changes his mind. He repeats his entire life. Not across the board. He, he most of them only make minor tweaks about what they learn in seminary. Yeah. You can also see this with most people that write books. Mm -hmm. because they develop an emotional attachment to their belief system, and that's the problem. They don't identify it, that they have that attachment. And that's my theory about why they don't critique it. You know, if you write a book, guess what? You know, you know, if all you have to do is write the crummiest book in world history, Dave, and guess what? You are now an author, and you can refer to yourself as an author on Facebook. Wow. <laughs> And people get, you know, an emotional attachment to, well, I'm an author. I mean, did you mention that when I came on your podcast, you know, at the, at the introduction? You know, you need to mention that I'm an author. You know? And people hear that and go, wow, he wrote a book. Okay, so <clears throat> this is what happens. It all comes down to, you know, know yourself. I mean, recognize that you're doing this. You have an emotional attachment. It's obvious that people do because when you see them interviewed on these shows, they're still defending the book they wrote 20 years ago. If I was to do that, I would probably be um, wearing a burqa over my head in public. That's why I do like people <laughs> that do actually go back and change their mind on stuff. It's not really me. I don't know Dave Eager. I never heard of him. I never heard of the book <laughs> either. No, I don't have nothing to do with that. I'm sorry. I, I got to go. I got to run. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? It is, um, it's nice when you actually uh, listen to people and you can tell they, they have actually, they're not just sticking to their guns just, just because. They're actually, as they're learning, they're changing their mind on things. You can I mean, see that I've done a lot of uh, deep thinking about the human psyche. 
yeah. even the, the the mind of the uh, the black magician that runs the show. And uh, I think about people differently. My view of man is much more lowly. Uh, that's that's that's. I think that's biblical. You know, I mean, I'm not impressed with humans. Uh, so well, anyway, it goes on to say. Um, uh, to be honest, do you actually try and mount up um, any of our achievements or what most people tout as human achievements? It's mostly technology and teachings and things we've been given by the fallen, uh-huh. which are just fleshly, um, well, we have some you know, engineering, things like that. Once again, where does all this mathematics and everything come from? I mean, it's quite obvious that nearly all our human achievements... Um, are mostly evil. <laughs> There's nothing much we really do, which is good. I saw you uh, talking about that in uh, Chris's uh, Facebook group. I, I do look yeah, at stuff in there. He, he was using it. I mean, he was talking about... Um, no, I'm talking uh, about yeah, you use the term stuff. fallen like some people do uh, without qualifying it. So I was going to ask you, what, what do you mean by that term? I mean, you could almost use it with a capital F. Who's the fallen? Well, our fallen state. Oh. Simple heart, our wicked I thought you were hearts. talking about the elite or something like that. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, I was referring in, in two ways. He was giving a list of achievements, and I was basically pointing out that they aren't really that much of an achievement. I mean, the only things we've done technology-wise is mostly the same things we were taught by the watchers. We've just improved the techniques. I see what and you're you saying. Even, when you yeah, say and the, even then when uh, you, the fallen, you're talking about the watchers. Yeah, and our you're, 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 you're taking an Enochian uh, mindset there. Yeah, the approach. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, that is a very interesting subject because I believe that advancement is given from God to the Illuminati. And an easy way to explain that, if you look at the greatest people uh, in the last thousand years, and you study history, in yeah. my opinion, almost every one of them is Illuminati, and uh, I just want to say something about that really quick. You know, exceptions would be Martin Luther. They can't overlook him. They have to put him in there. But you have these men who, I mean, they're highly intelligent, but they get bypassed. They're ignored in their lifetime, and even if they um, get some credit afterwards, they're diminished by the writers of history, you see. And so it's a problem of influence, and uh, but anyway, I mean, in the big picture, because we live in a controlled system, I mean, that's what I believe. See, we had a controlled system in the medieval era. You don't have a problem with that, right? Yeah, no, that's fine. When did that change? It just became more, oh, yeah. more covert, in my opinion. Just like um, um, with the Inquisition, where they were openly persecuting Christians. Now, some people are confused about that because they think that they were killing heretics. No, they were killing the remnant and calling them heretics. That's a big difference. It's called 180 degrees. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I probably believe quite similar to what you were saying. I don't think it's necessarily passed on through the Illuminati. I tend to think of the, I mean, obviously, okay. probably control the people that it does come through. I, I mean, I still think it's being allowed by God, but I think of it more of the idea of, you know, like how you have a muse or an inspiration. I, actually, I hold to a theological view that's very developed, that it's actually yeah, well, God, God is doing this, like, and he's, he's punishing his own people. And guess what? If you look very carefully at Ezekiel 34, which is an incredibly important passage, 
because that is the primary text in Scripture that refers to this period uh, from the post-apostolic era up to our time. And God's people, whoever these people are, they're being hunted down and slaughtered. Now, the replacement theology is going to say, well, that's not to be taken literally, even if they were willing to extend it over the, you know, what we call church history. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I don't have a problem with taking it literally. In fact, that's exactly what was happening in the late medieval era. The remnant was largely up in the mountains, and they were, it actually says they're in the mountains in uh, Ezekiel uh, 34. Yeah. And it has these, uh, these wild beasts that are hunting them down. Now, that was the uh, Roman Catholic Church, and they were calling them all these nasty names, which I've mentioned before. And we've we've been told that you know the, well these people were heretics, but we actually don't know for certainty actually what they believe because it's going to be slander. You can't that's trust them. You can't trust them to tell them that. what they believed. And I say that I don't really know. I've got some pretty good ideas, but I don't, I'm not certain about anything. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, so that's the condition. We're not in a position of power. People don't realize this. That's, that's what I was talking about there in the verse we, 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 I read there in um, Jeremiah 30. We're all enslaved. That, that's what it actually says. So anyway, after the Inquisition, and by the way, they use, the, you know, all these terms are, de- are designed to influence. So when it, they, you know how they always call it the Spanish Inquisition? Yeah. That makes you think <laughs> that it was confined to Spain. No, it wasn't. It was Europe, really. Um, so anyway, after that, I believe that they had this uh, quiet war. Now, now, here's the reason what I believe. This is a radical opinion. The reason the uh, Inquisition ended, now, when I say that, you know, if Michael Adams hears that, he goes, it, 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 it actually is ongoing. I actually agree with him on that. But there was, a, there was such a significant shift, in my opinion, that you could say that it ended in a qualified sense. But when, I, when I'm talking about that, I'm really only talking about... Um, you know, in the West, what we call the West. You know what I mean? Because it definitely did not end outside of the West. And it was still going on in the West, but it was um, around the perimeter pretty much, so it wasn't as obvious. Because uh, the Roman Catholic Church just loves to kill people. And, uh, you know, we're talking about the, the dark hierarchy that runs the show there, not the yeah. Roman Catholic people themselves. I mean, they're deceived, just like Protestants are deceived. I would definitely say they're less deceived if they're even genuine Christians. But anyway, what happened after that, because I think that that was uh, running just fine up until, uh, I think that the so-called Age of Enlightenment is the, the period where there was a transition. You familiar with that in the 18th century? Yes. So they yes. started to have all this intellectual criticism of Christianity. It laid the, the you see, it was, they were softening people up for what was coming with Darwin in the 19th century. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh-huh. Bible criticism. I mean, they did away with and, a lot of things around uh-huh. that time. And later you they see, did away you with know, a lot of proper science and, all, and sort of moved into pseudoscience. Later in the 20th century, you see all of this uh, discussion about the historical Jesus, and we don't know this, we don't know that. And it was actually, some, you know, some of the stuff that they were saying was good. And, uh, you know, Albert Schweitzer uh, wrote a book on, on that classic work, and uh, it, 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 it's like the, the conservative Christians, they just ignore it all because they, well, they're, Christ, they're defending Christianity, so we have to, what did I just say? They're, they're, they're <laughs> criticizing Christianity. Did I say defend? 
You were saying, yeah. But we have to defend it. But they don't really sift through it because there's gold nuggets in there, you know. Because we have this standardized Trinitarian mindset, and the problem with Trinitarianism, it creates a sacred cow. No, this is God. Here's God. We're offering you God. You're not going to put some major tweaks on that, are you? Well, of course not. I can't do that. That's a God. That's our God there, you know. See, that's a problem. So that's why I talk about theological risk, and actually something I've never mentioned before, theological courage. I don't see this with people. And with theologians, they are, they're all suffering from peer review, and then there's a direct relationship with that and money, believe it or not. Money, money, money. Oh, yeah. I've been talking about that before. How the system actually works. I won't go on that right now. But anyway, yeah, so what happened is they, uh, they had this quiet war. To start. It was contemporaneous with the, uh, uh, the so-called, you know, they manufacture all these terms, <clears throat> the so-called industrial age. We're going to start giving us some canned food and uh, weaponizing everything with chemicals, which didn't really get kicked. Everything has been weaponized after World War II. It's just getting worse. That's the only real thing. Now everybody's drugged, including the older pastors. It's all normalized. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, if you look at uh, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, he talks about a society that everybody's on SOMA. We're mm-hmm. headed in that direction very quickly. Well, let me just say something here real quick. Almost every single person that lives here, well, hold it here. I'm not sure if anybody has lived here where I live that is not on uh, pharmaceutical drugs. When they come out of the penitentiary, they're all on drugs. They put everybody on drugs there. I don't know if you, yeah, uh, and quite a lot of the time, if you're part of the program, you wouldn't have a choice, mm-hmm. would you? And then the other people that are here are, uh, they're trying to get sober or whatever the heck, you know. But what they do is they put them on drugs. Is they wean them off of these other drugs, you know, the illegal drugs and, and the alcohol. Well, we're going to put you on, we're going to medicate you. Yeah. And it, it, everybody just goes along with the show. And then they everything is uh, filtered through AA. They got a great book on there uh, on Amazon, how that is basically a cult. And it's yeah, there's an interesting history I mean, behind that. Do you know it's run by the Rockefellers? Yeah, yeah. There's, if anyone's interested in that subject, there's a really good old Future Quake show about it. A really old one. Well, they, so, uh, they delve into it. I mean, a lot of it came out of the spiritualist movement, didn't mm-hmm. it? So this is what I wanted to say. I wanted to say that um, the reason that the um, external nature of the uh, Inquisition dwindled it's because God said that's enough. That's my view. You see, if you have a sovereign God, it comes down to one thing. He's in control. And what, why was he allowing this in the first place? Go to Ezekiel 34. And why are these people being pursued? The scripture tells you, it tells you it's a punishment from God. Yeah. Because of the sins of their ancestors, God has rejected Israel. Now, see, it's, I'm saying that deliberately to get people to think, oh, that God would never do that. It's right in the Bible, so it really depends on who is Israel. And it's not, obviously, in a full sense. But then again, look at the northern tribes. Look at Ephraim. Mm-hmm. See, God really has abandoned them. You know, in the Messianic Jewish movie, you got this two-house 
theology. Are you familiar with that at all? You probably are. Yeah, what do you mean the north and south side, yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of confusion about that. Uh, I don't think the Bible is has a lot of clarity about that. For one thing, if that's true... I mean, it's true in a certain sense. It's obvious, because I just mentioned it. But, I mean, who, the problem is, who the heck is who? You don't know. So why even talk about it so much? Well, nowadays, it's yeah, impossible to know. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're trying to say, well, I'm uh, from the south, and you're from the north. How do you know? You don't know anything. You don't know any about these bloodlines. That's something they're really off on, you know. Yeah. So let me go back and read that passage. I wanted to point that out, Dave. Because when I talk to people, it stimulates me. God is the one that said, he's behind the Inquisition. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say this. It's a punishment on his own people. Look at God's people are being slaughtered. Now, I can go to specific passages that actually says that he's going to do, he's actually, he says, I'm going to send fishers after you. And they're going yeah, to hunt well, you. They're going to hunt you down. And it, it all goes back to they broke the covenant. Did you know that God actually prophesied in Deuteronomy, um, well, it's in Deuteronomy and also in Joshua, that the people are going to abandon him. When they go into the land, they're going to become corrupt. He actually predicts all this stuff. This is right in your Bible. He's telling yeah. you, it's not something that's up in the air. That passage either has to come true or it, or it doesn't. I and God is prophesying they're going to become corrupt. He's already the saying they're doomed. Before They haven't even reached the land yet. Mm-hmm. This is shocking. What you're, you're saying about punishing his own people, I mean, you have the idea, I forget the scripture, it's in Revelation somewhere where he's talking about you know the martyrs being killed. It gives the illusion that basically a certain amount have to be killed throughout history until um, the final one gets killed or the final ones get killed or whatever. Uh-huh. So it's been constantly throughout history. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying it because it's interesting. But I I have a highly developed theology that explains all these things. And when you look at a passage like in Revelation 13, um, where it says, um, let me see here. (laughs) If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone Mm -hmm. is killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. Is it... uh, God is doing all this. He, 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 but he's actually quoting Jeremiah right there. Yeah. And, um, see, God is behind it all. Christians today, when when you, well, that's a bad thing in the Bible. So the first thing they do is, well, that has nothing to do with God. See, that's simplistic. You know why? This is what they get from their pastors. This, this mindless capital <laughs> of the, the good God. Notice that that good God that they believe in is not compatible with what we're talking about? No. I mean, it's not compatible. Maybe, the portions of apologetics are dedicated to just getting God off the hook, essentially, with a lot of things. Well, if you spoke the truth, I mean, people would they would not be attracted to a local church. No. And that's exactly what we need to do. Speak the truth in love and chase these people away. They shouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah, that's very true. And once you but get them that, there, now you've got a problem. Again. Now you've got a problem because again. they want to influence things. They want to get on, a, you know, the church, uh, a governing body, and then they start influencing the pastor because usually it's the people with the most money. Yeah, and that once again, it's equal 34, like you're saying, where it's 
when the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel, prophecy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat fat, and you clothe yourself with wool, you slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you and have not strengthened, the disease you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with the force and with severity you have dominated them. And okay, now you're reading Ezekiel 34, and what yeah. people need to realize that point is out before, God says precisely nothing that's positive about these leaders. And here's, here's what's interesting, Dave. What do we call our leaders today? We call them pastors, right? Even though that's not a biblical term, the epistles are written to the elders, right? Yeah. Uh, but we're going to just keep right on doing it anyway, because that's what our religion does. And it's not based on the Bible. It's based on this religion that's handed to us in a package, and you get different versions, you know. I get arrived in the mail or something, like, oh, wow, you know, and uh, this is all for me. But um, well, the, the word like pastor means say, shepherd. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's an Elizabethan term. And it's basically a mistranslation, because if you look at these translations, obviously they're translating the same word in other uh, contexts as shepherd. Everybody does that. It should not say pastor at all. And like I, like I said before, there's no passage in the New Testament that says pastor singular. It's not one single time. It's only in the plural. It's a group, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the reason I point this out is because he's calling them shepherds. And that's, he might as well be calling them pastors. But now here's the thing. What does he say about them that's positive? Precisely nothing. He actually calls them evil. Yeah, he basically says they're feeding themselves, they're not helping anyone, they're just feeding themselves, not the, not the flock. They've not strengthened anyone, they've not helped anyone. Is it true or is it not true that we have a paid clergy? Uh, yeah. Now, did you know that's You'll probably find pockets. You'll maybe find the old house churches and things like that, but that's yeah. the exception to the rule. Now, people will say, they'll start referring to, you know, Paul and stuff like that, that the uh, the worker is, is, is worthy of his wage. No, that's no. not teaching a paid clergy. That's saying that they deserve to be financially compensated, not to have a retirement fund, have a house, um, have a, no. you know, insurance, no. to have the whole package, just like anybody else. No, 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 it's not talking about that. It's not in your yeah. Bible. But that's what they believe anyway. And, you know, it's not critique. It's not, you know, I just want to say, too, that, you have to understand, pastors are under societal pressure to conform. I mean, it, you could make a whole show about this. It's, it's shocking, okay? I mean, these people are products of the system. But, you see, when you have somebody in that church with money, money talks, like Solomon said. And money answers all things, right? He said that yeah. in Ecclesiastes. And when you have uh, money in a church, you have influence. That pastor will start – see, this is what I talk about when I say know thyself. You start budding up to these people, showing them more attention, favor, but see, you don't realize that you're doing it. You're not critiquing yourself. That's what pastors need to do. They need to critique themselves, and it's absolutely critical to have a mentor, if you're a pastor, someone who's older than you, that can, that can watch over you. See, they don't have this kind of thing. They have all this hero worship. They're kind of like being a rock star. Like Brian Jones, you're just totally destroying yourself with drugs. 
and everyone knows it, but no one's going to say anything because um, you're my hero, and you know, I, you know, hero worship. I just want to hang out with you, and if you want to do, if you want to see, if you want to be in his inner circle, you got to keep your mouth shut. Watch what you say. Watch what you don't say, because they're all looking to be promoted too. You know, it's going to further your career. I mean, if you're clo in close proximity to Brian Jones, you know, the Rolling Stones, I believe he was yeah. murdered. Uh, you want to keep your mouth shut and uh, and go with the show, right? Well, that's not going to mm -hmm. involve criticizing him. Well, you know something? It's that way all through our culture, and it's one of many ways where I talk about um, there's a tension between money and truth. Well, that's and the money whole... suppresses the truth at every hand. Yeah. I mean, uh, unfortunately, the whole institutionalized uh, church system is set up wrong to begin with. I mean, the whole building idea, the whole idea of just one leader. I mean, you can go back and read Acts, and it's quite obvious they were mostly just meeting and talking all amongst themselves for a very long time, most of the time. So it wasn't just one person doling out his particular brand of propaganda or whatever. Mm -hmm. They would uh, discuss things amongst themselves and, you know, come to their conclusions. Um, they were meeting every day, and uh, I don't think that you Disgusting, yeah. need to create a, a church model. I'm using the word church to communicate effectively. In, you would have had, day. Yeah. But it would be interesting point. with a house church model to actually have a house that's open almost every night that you could go to if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah, that's the problem, you see. The interest level is not high enough. Now, I'm going I'm to illustrate this, okay? There's a reason why they shut everything down, well, not everything down, okay, uh, but a lot of these programs down in churches over the summer. See, again, they, they, they go along with the system. We've been given a vacation mentality in this society, in the Western world. Yeah. I, 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 I'm the only person I've heard talk about it. It's actually programming. It, it's also, um, you know, thank God it's Friday programming, which now you're supposed to have every night. Every night when you come home from work, you deserve to sit in front of that television well, just, and watch well, so it. How you deserve to be entertained. You're tired, yeah. you know, and you're a good person. You're working hard, blah, 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 whatever justifies yeah. it. And basically, you know, ignore your children. They have their own uh, technology. And they have their little world, and you have your little world. And uh, you have to give them space, you know. Be a good citizen, Dave. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the societal programming is just, it's unbelievable. And so they, they just conform to all well, this. Just a couple of days ago, we just had our mass societal programming to adjust our biorhythms with a uh, good old daylight savings. Absolutely. Yeah, which is, well, it always throws me for a loop every time it happens because I end up waking up for the time my body's used to and not when I need to be up. And now it's late, but it feels like it's like one in the morning or something because of the time change. But what you're talking about there is something on a lengthy list that Christians are completely clueless about. It's a long list. They've covered no, all the bases. It's a small they tweaked everything, and uh, they've thrown us out of whack, and they're actually attacking us every day. And now stop, this is shocking. I need to point this out. Time time. So it probably strengthens that idea of a vacation mentality because we're being bombarded by every side. I mean, you almost feel like bombarded from every day. side. And here's where it gets shocking. This is why I have to point this out. Christians are blissfully unaware of all of this. Do you realize that? It's absolutely shocking. Mm -hmm. You can just start with a chemtrail. 
and go from there. And do they know about this? Do they know about that? What about this? What about that? What about this? And then Dave gets on here and says, well, we're under the judgment of God. And people look at me and go, what? Because they never heard that before, you see. Like I was saying before about technology, and you said before, nearly everything we've made and done is is a punishment, essentially. I mean, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything which you could just, you could consider an actual blessing. I mean, it's all like a, like a band-aid to make up for being out of the garden, essentially. Where the well, I'm the only guy out there that I've heard talk about how um, the Illuminati is responsible for good things in our society. They are, because God has put them in charge, they have the divine right to rule, which they acknowledge. They are the ones that maintain the structure. Let's take an example, okay? Look at the stock market. It's all artificial. There's so many ups and downs and swings all over the place. Over time, it absolutely proves that it has to be controlled because if it was just left to natural events, we, it, would have, it would have crashed. But see, someone is, has absolute precise control over all that. And you That's can take really that and just run with it because that, our entire society is that way. Even then, that's not really a positive. That's like, yeah, they're having a system which is bad in the first place running okay. Right, right. Well, uh, see, I'm not talking about either or. I'm talking about, uh, I mean, you can't isolate things that are good. I'm talking about, for instance, like maintaining the structure, the external structure of our society. Because it could could collapse into chaos. I give them credit for that. But see, they're just taking orders. But then again, that goes back to the whole idea I mean, of us living in cities. I mean, that's not really idyllic, is it? I mean, who's Cain that first started the cities? Cities are building? a punishment from God. Yeah, once again, everything that we've achieved, all technology, everything, it's all a punishment. There might be perks within the punishment, so to say. I mean, things that seem good on you know first glance. But if you actually boil it all down, it's everything's bad. It's all just... Well, as soon as we come out of the garden, I mean... It's less than it's, ideal. Well, it, that's, it's that's, less than ideal, yeah. Let's, let's take like an example. a band-aid on a big car. Take an example. <laughs> as soon as you create an enclosure and put a roof over your head, you have inferiority. Man is designed, ideally, to have a breeze and be exposed to oxygen. You're going to start shutting down the oxygen. You see that? This is why we get colds. Yeah. People yeah. are so stupid. They don't realize why they get colds in the winter. Yeah. They think it has exactly to do with the cold. To- no, it has to do with lack of oxygen in your home. You're exactly onto what I was talking about because you could look at that as shelter, for example, as an achievement. We've managed to shelter ourselves from the elements. But why do we even need to do that? If we were still in the garden, for example, we wouldn't have any need for a, a shelter. Anyway, it's all very complex, and I believe that God wants cities, you see. And he's um, doing all this to illustrate things. Well, you got a problem there, Dave. We try to take an idealistic view with it. Well, God doesn't really want cities, He wants us to go back to Eden. Now, I just want to say really quick, I mean, I there's, two, there's two different views there. There's the going back to Eden view, which I used to hold to. I, I, used, I used to uh, I have a progressive view that we're going back to Eden in a, in a qualified sense, but we're also progressing because there's going to be cities in restored Israel. In well, yes, of course. Um, but originally... Jerusalem. I mean, see, go back yeah, to yeah, Jerusalem yeah. and then you go, hold it here. He wants Jerusalem. But see, cities are inferior. So it's very interesting. Yeah, because obviously the problem with cities is it brings in a whole lot of, I mean, the whole this whole start of currency, for example, is necessitated by city uh, dwellings. I mean, when you've got everything uh, localized like that and you have farmers in another region, then suddenly trade and things like that become necessary. Whereas before, if you're living a more nomadic lifestyle where you're just going around 
picking fruits and things as and when they're in season, hunting the odd animal. You have no need for a lot of this trade, well, or any trade really. So you don't, you don't even like need need like money, and then you you know have all kinds of problems start with there, you know, banking and all sorts, um, usury. But obviously, if we were in a more nomadic lifestyle, there wouldn't be much of a need for that, and it's you could say it's more you know more imbalanced with the uh, environment as well, mm-hmm. less destructive. I hold to the and view. Probably, I can prove it. That coinage actually is traceable to Semiramis and. Uh, you know, what we call sacred prostitution. That te- It's not technically the correct term, but that's the one you hear so people know what I'm talking about. So you don't yeah, think that, that's it would have been started by, like, for instance, Cain or, or, you know, around when the cities are getting built? It may have existed uh, in the antediluvian era, but uh, we really don't know about that era. Well, no, I suppose we don't know. Just to, so I just kind of skip over it and... Uh, so if, if we have, if it's believed some of the apparent things that have been found in, for instance, uh, like coal, for example, where people have found jewellery and gold, mm-hmm. they obviously had some value to, you know, they were still valuing precious uh, metals and things back then. So it would seem logical they might have used currency. era is farther down. Now, here's what's happening. Let's say that um, you have Christians who are the, the Christian intelligentsia, whoever the heck these people are. But they don't know that there was two massive world cataclysms. So when they see these things, I mean, these are the people that are they're looking around. These are the people who are talking about the Nephilim and stuff like that. Who's the scholars that are really thinking? Because they're not thinking conspiratorially. So who are these people? But anyway, whoever these people are, they're assuming that this is, um, this, that, you know, the residue and the silt above that is from the Great Flood. And I'm saying, no, it's farther down. So they're looking at things from the first century. In my well, opinion, and the and the and the other the stuff that you're talking about is actually farther down. I don't I don't even know if we're even coming across it. I think it's too far. Possibly, down. but I mean, yeah, I suppose. But things like coal need to be created. Um, you wouldn't be able to create that in a fire. In, in kind of calculation, it need to be buried. Mm-hmm. A flood could be more productive for that. Well, there's no real reason why they wouldn't have coins in the antediluvian era. No, just I imagine, imagine they would have been. Well, yeah, I imagine once again it's probably the fool and the, you know, the watchers, whatever you want to, you know, like they're detailed in Enoch, they probably bought in coinage um, around the time that they were teaching. So the things that you're talking about there in the book of Enoch actually relate to what we're talking about because if you look at them, uh, there's clearly things there that God actually wanted for man later, but apparently not at that time. You ever notice that? What do you mean? Uh, the list what? of things that the Watchers brought. Yeah, yeah, I understand that, but what, what things were you saying were wanted by God? Uh, I'm going off the top of my head here. Did he talk about fire? No. No? no. Well, I've, maybe. I can't I remember. Have back Let me bring it up. Yeah, I've got it. I've yeah, got uh, several... Uh, Books of Enoch around here, but they're all they're in storage. So, and I don't have yeah. a, I don't have a Enoch oh, that I can bring up quickly. You remember? You what, oh, there we go. It's in chapter eight. Yeah. Um, here we go. Abdel the taught um, men to make swords, knives, shields, breastplates, the fabrication okay, well, of stop mirrors. Stop right there. Stop right there. Go back to what Jesus said about a sword. Carrying a sword. Ooh. Yeah. See that he, now. I don't think they that he, he wanted, sinned, right? They, he, 
says in Hebrews 2, you know, he never never sinned. Yeah, right? and he's using a technology of... But he's approving the sword. Yeah. So it has to be okay, but there... See, so what I'm saying is it's about timing. He you, also have, you also have this problem with the king and Saul, because God didn't want them to have a king, and yet... It's clear that he, David was all ready to go, you know, prophetic. I mean, you, you cannot conduct a scenario where God didn't really want to give you David. The same thing with the coming prince. This is part of his plan. So the, way that, the only way out of this conundrum is to say that it, it's all about timing. And the, the fallen angels wanted to get in there and jumpstart things. You see, the same with, same with the Jews. They said, give us a king now. I said, okay, I'll give you a king now. Here's Saul. Yeah. You know? Well, it probably would have been also more the people that wanted it because it, obviously they gave all this information in exchange for the women. Now, guess what? In my view, and in the view of Martin Luther and John Calvin and all of the Protestant uh, reformers, guess what? It was God's plan for the the, the watchers to do this. So you have to do that. You you, you have to go to that. You, be consistent. You, you either be, believe in predestination or you don't. Because let's go yeah. back to the big one. The big one is it, got, got, it was God's plan for Adam to fall. It was all fated. And as it says there explicitly in Acts uh, chapter 4, it uses the word predestined is some of the most evil acts in the history of redemptive history. Redemptive history, and it's talking about Christ being crucified. And that was his plan, too, which explains why it says in uh, Revelation 13 8 that he was. Um, Crucified before the foundations of the earth were laid. Yeah. Is that what it says there? There's a text here. Yeah, if you, if you go through the uh, list of uh, scriptures which uh, refer to predestination and alarming, um, uh, the amount of them. So I'm simply saying that it, it's a cosmic well, drama. It's a story. It's scripted by God, designed to illustrate something or glorify God. How would you perceive that? But, I mean, he is the one that's scripting everything. Well, yeah, it's all a yeah. drama at the end of the day. So what, now, the reason I point that out is because if you look at the text, it looks like, well, God is, uh, he disapproves of this, and now judgment's going to fall. So you've got to stand back far enough to look at the, the grand picture and realize that the creature cannot act independently of God. God has to empower him to do evil. And so oh, yeah. it, it stands by default that God's enabling people to do all these things. They can't do it independently of God. So, anyway, I mean, these are things that Christians don't believe, but, you know, what I just said there about all that with the watchers, the, uh, the Protestant reformers would agree with that because they believe in predestination, of course. You wouldn't have a problem with that because you, you'd have bigger problems with Adam falling and, and Christ being crucified. So once you acknowledge that, everything else is going to have to be along those lines, too. Let me go back to what I was saying about vacation mentality is that... Um, and complete that thought is that um, they go with the system, and the system has a vacation mentality. You know, your your vacation is from the Illuminati, and, and let's just admit it—you you love it, right? Now, is is the concept of a vacation in the Bible? Well, uh, you'd have to appeal to a Sabbath, right? It's just a different culture. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is that they they shut everything down in the summer, basically. Because they know that they can't – see, what I say about pastors, they don't pull people up to a higher level. They step down to their, their level because they get apathetic, 
they get frustrated trying to get these people to do things. And one of the reasons is, Dave, they got too many people in these churches that are what the Bible calls reprobate. They're not elect. They're not quality yeah. people. They're there for the wrong reasons. And it talks about this. Peter talked about this. It would have been better for them not to known, you know, the ways of God. Mm-hmm. This is why you have these problems, because they were never uh, elect in the first place. You're always going to have reprobate. And so basically, they see, they shut, they, sh- they shut the Sunday school down, and they shut these programs down, because the people have a vacation mentality, and they don't have enough, high, enough interest. And so they just give up. They go with the show. And they basically, they do this right across the board. Now, not all churches do this, but there's always exceptions, but this is the general rule. So I want to point that out. I mean, you can critique the local church setting right down the line. Almost everything is wrong. It's absolutely shocking. I've actually said that the conservative Christian uh, churches that we call evangelical, I can't think is a general rule of any correct church practice that they have. It's, it's, it's all wrong. And this is shocking to people. So I, that can't be true. It actually is yeah, true. The holidays, the celebrations, they're not doing anything right. Nothing. Yeah. That's how bad it is. And so, again, when we're going to move on here, but um, Christians believe that this is the one true religion. Look at you have what's called orthopraxy, correct practice. Uh, practice is an uh, essential part of any religion. How can you say that practice is not important? So you're going to have false practice right down the line, and then you're going to say, well, we have the stamp of God's uh, approval, and this is the one true religion. You're delusional. So it's no wonder I talk about Christians being delusional. You know, on iTunes, that, po- that, that, that the podcast, Delusional Christians, is really popular, and I know why. And I do this to really. A lot of atheists probably go <laughs> Uh, that too, but you know, you put it's kind of like a challenge to you. And you, if you listen to me uh, and White Raven talking about Christians, you're going to have your uh, your brains rearranged if you can continue to listen, because we're just talking about self evident facts. People have not heard these things before because see, we don't look inwardly; we look outwardly. We point a finger and we attack, attack, attack. We don't critique ourselves and we don't deconstruct Christianity. So. Let me go back to that passage. I want you to read. Well, I tell you what. Why don't you keep reading in Ezekiel uh, 34 if you want to? Uh, I closed the window. I can bring it back up quickly. Okay. And then I'm going to go yeah. to. I'm going to finish that uh, passage there in, in the Jeremiah real quick, and then you can go back and read in Jeremiah 31 if you want. Yeah, I mean, talks about the new covenant. I get to Ezekiel 34. I was at verse. Five. I've finished um, that, but I'll just read them first. Obviously, back to talking about the uh, the sheep being scattered because of the um, because of the shepherds. There we go. They were scattered for lack. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, here. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field, for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the words of the Lord. Remember the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them, and make them seizing themselves. Oh, sorry, feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore. 
but I will deliver my flock from their mouth, so they will not be food for them. And that's now, quite... You know, when it says scattered, you see, that's talking about um, the diaspora, the dispersion. And God is the one that did that. It's prophesied right in Scripture. And what does it say? Uh-huh. It says that's a judgment against his people. And so they become a prey. And what I'm saying is that God makes them prey. And, and I, like I said earlier, it goes even farther. He says he sends hunters against them to hunt them down and destroy them. Yep. Now, is that compatible with Christian belief system? So this is why people go with the dis- dispensational view. Oh, well, that's talking about the Jews that crucified Christ. No, it's talking about you. Your entire environment has been weaponized, sir, and you don't realize it, and that's what we want to point out. You can see that God has made his own people stupid. How many times have I talked about it in the show, and every time you hear that, I go, that, but that's, that's a little Davism. No, that's the Bible. When I say that, I'm just trying to get people's attention. Apparently it's not working. Yeah. No, so if we carry on going, it can... Go ahead. So it's starting from verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when scattered sheep, so will I care for my sheep and will deliver them from all places to which they were scattered on a cloud and gloomy day. Stop right there. I think that, that's from the first century cataclysm. Yeah. There's more than one scattering because there's stages of the diaspora, but if it's not, then it goes back to when it originally happened. Possibly having to do with Assyria or possibly Babylon, either one, but Hmm, go ahead. I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and bring them... See, there's the diaspora. After they're scattered, now they're going to be gathered. Go ahead. Yeah, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. Lie down good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them with judgment. And for you, my flock, says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats. It is too slight a thing for you that you should feed on the good pastures, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pastures, or that you should drink from the clear waters, that you must foul the rest with your feet. As for my flock, they must eat what you tread down with your feet and drink what you foul with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I even will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and with shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will deliver my flock, and they will do longer be a prey. I will judge between one sheep and then another shepherd, and he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be the prince among them, and I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of... Sorry, I did the thing where it went back a page. <laughs> the covenant, see how see how the future is covenant? Is, is the covenant is future? Yeah, yeah. I will make... I'll just pick it up and just finish the last little bit from uh, verse 25 here. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and emanate 
I'm oh, sorry, eliminate harmful beasts from the land so they only live securely in the wilderness. Yes, they're going to have a sheepfold so they can't be hunted. Christians don't realize they don't have yeah. a sheepfold right now. They think everything is fine. It's not fine. We're, we're being uh, slaughtered. Look at all these people that, that die of chemotherapy because of ignorance. Go ahead. I know. Also, the trees of the field will yield, yield its fruit, and the earth will yield its increase, and they will be secure on their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I have broken down the bars of their yoke and have delivered them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be a prey to the nations, and beasts of the earth will not devour them, but they will live securely, and no one will make them afraid. I will give them a renowned planting place, and they will not again be victims of famine in the land. They will not endure the in- insults of nations anymore they will know that I the Lord am with them and that they the house of Israel are my people declares the Lord for you my sheep the sheep of my pasture and I am of God declares the Lord God okay that's good well, that's all of Ezekiel 34 now there was something that was critically important there as you read along uh, when I did a uh, show uh, with low quality audio because we had a beeping phone with White Raven, it talks about uh, uh, the new Moses in your Bible, you know, room two. That was really important because uh, mm-hmm. we weren't intending to produce evidence in Scripture that there's going to be supernatural signs and wonders that are going to manifest before the nations, and they're going to be afraid, that are greater than the first Exodus. This is right in your Bible. Yep. And so the same thing's happening here. I'm talking about enslavement, captivity, which Christians don't believe in. Oh, I don't. I would never allow that. Okay, I read a passage there uh, just randomly in Jeremiah 30. That's what it said. And then it said that, you know, mm-hmm. this is your condition. You know something, Dave? It's saying the same exact thing here. Yeah. Th- this is what they're saying. They're saying, you are enslaved. You're in captivity. I'm going to give you David. Isn't that true that that's what it's saying here in uh, Ezekiel? Yeah, and- from like the last 23 and 24. This is the critical the passage. Will be like God and my servant David will be the prince among them. Mm-hmm. This is the critical passage here. Uh, it says, I will break the, the bars of their yoke and mm-hmm. rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. Yep. We have slave masters. We don't know who they are. And we also don't know that we're enslaved. Now, isn't that interesting? Also, just uh, just further down where it says, uh, well, they will live securely and no one will make them afraid. And obviously, you look... Now, remember how I talked about how they created, these two different, they created these two different theologies to steal all these passages. Let's focus on a single passage right there, the passage I just read. Notice I'm taking it literally put in proper historical context. Let's go to replacement theology, then we'll go to dispensational theology, and we'll see how they stole this, because Dave made another grandiose statement like he likes to do. They stole every passage away from you, the evil Satanists. Let's see if that's true. Okay? Uh, Replacement theology is going to spiritualize that passage, and they're not going to put it on a proper historical timeline, because they want to, somewhat curiously, like preterists, they want to either stuff it all into the uh, first century or post-apostolic era immediately following, 
mm-hmm. or they want to have combine it with kind of a historicist view where it has a spiritual application to all Christians over the uh, until Jesus comes. That's a bunch of garbage. Okay, so now the dispensational view that doesn't refer to us either. Um, well, it, well, I mean, it, it it doesn't refer to us. Uh, Replacement theology says it does, but it's a spiritual application. But they say that it refers to the Jews. So it's not talking about Christians here. It's talking about the Jews, you see. So see how they steal the passages away from us? Yeah. Satanic genius. See, they knew what they were doing. Now, I'm saying in the big picture, guess what? God took the proper meaning of these passages away from us. And it's a punishment... And this is why when you talk about things like Matthew 17 11, where it's talking about the nature of our religion, it's corrupt, Christians are completely clueless. Well, he, he says this again right at the beginning of Ezekiel 34, that we're basically being kept down by the... Yeah, the well, obviously this has to be a corrupt religion. The, the, the leaders are evil. Mm-hmm. This is shocking. And notice how it confirms what I've been saying actually through the years, because I've been doing this since 2011. See, the Bible is verifying what I'm saying, but you'll notice it contrasts with what you're hearing in Christianity. It's not compatible with the Bible. And what is Dave doing? Uh, just taking the passages literally and trying to put them on a proper historical timeline. What's, is that so hard? Yeah. So maybe this is why God wanted me to isolate all those years, so he could teach me something. Maybe that's what happened. Wow. But people have a problem with that. Well, Dave, you should have been out there in the, in the industry out there and getting your hands dirty. I don't think God wanted you to do that. You can do that in your, in your spare time, but uh, it all depends on one word, fruit. It, do you have some fruit? Is there evidence? I, I, I believe I do. So anyway... We should do a show on that uh, sometime, but I'm glad that you uh, have talked about it. And I have a huge master list of all these podcasts to do on different subjects. And basically what yeah. happens, whenever an idea pops into my mind, I just create all these lists. I put it on a list. That doesn't mean it'll ever get done, but that's just the way I am. So I want to go on and say there in Jeremiah 31:22. How long will you wander, O unfaithful daughter? See, he's speaking about us, and it's a negative context. And, you know, you got these people out there that talk about the Protestants as, um, you know, the daughters of Roman Catholicism. But, you know, he's saying daughter. everything is an unfaithful daughter. It, it's all corrupt. You see how you see this consistent pattern, you know, like Matthew seventeen eleven, the stuff we're looking at here. People yeah. want to paint everything a brighter place, either the world or Christianity. The Bible does not do this kind of thing. So it says, the Lord will create a new well. thing on earth. A woman will surround a man. Now, I believe that's um, either a double metaphor, the woman, or I'm 100% convinced it's referring to a historical woman. This, it's the queen that's coming. So anyway, I just wanted to read that. Uh, because I was talking about in, in uh, Jeremiah 31, too, about the uh, the people who survive the sword and find favor in the wilderness. Yeah. But once you go back and read, uh, starting in verse 27, when it talks about the new covenant, so people can see that if you take the text literally, 
the new covenant is future because it explicitly says new covenant. And you, know, you know something? This is the primary text in all of Scripture that talks about the new covenant, folks. The primary passage. The reason we think we're under the new covenant is because we were tricked by the Roman Catholic Church to make you believe that it was all fulfilled. It's very simple. The new covenant has to do with the restoration of Israel. And that's what it's talking about here. Now, I do hold to what's called first truth theology. That's a term that I created in the apostolic era. They were benefiting from the first fruits of the new covenant. They were mostly spiritual. But you see, you've got to understand, we're talking about physical blessings in a physical land. Obviously, that's not happened, and it cannot be reconciled with replacement theology or amillennialism. Yeah. And I'm actually saying there's truth in amillennialism because I actually hold to the amillennial view of the millennium, <laughs> somewhat curiously. That has nothing to do with the future era, which has a lot of commonalities with what they teach in premillennialism. There's going to be um, a Davidic figure on the throne, but it's not the heavenly Christ. They've got that wrong, too, in, in my view, because this person's coming, and when he comes, he's going to rule for a long time. And you can figure everything else out. How, how are you going to work everything around that? You've got to get that straight. You see, they spiritualized all that, too, again. Interestingly, isn't it um, some of the sort of Jewish rabbis' view that you have the sort of two messiahs coming, and one of them being uh, Messiah Ben David? So they're expecting to return anyway. It's kind of funny because the, the Jews are the ones, these rabbis, that just butcher these texts with these outlandish interpretations. Um, I don't know where they're getting this stuff from, either a demon or their own ego. Uh, but that's another story. Because you have all this detail, which is not in the Scripture. They're building this edifice off of assumption. But what's interesting, and they spiritualize a lot, but they actually take these passages that we're talking about literally. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And so they can see what Christians cannot see. And what that is, basically, is the Jewish Messiah is coming, and the church will reject him because they're waiting for this heavenly Messiah. They've been psyoped. And God did the same thing to the Jews. He punished them. The other way around, yeah. See, Jesus um, took the passage that David had in the Psalms and applied it to that generation and said, let, you know, in...
He says, is replacement theology, is that the same as Israel representing each New Testament believer? In other words, the church? Yeah. That's where we got this concept of the church. They're taking what the scripture says about Israel. We're mainly talking about, you know, prophecy. And they're applying it to what we call the church. The church is, is it, I mean, in general rule, it's not really a biblical concept. Um, if you define it properly, you know, it's really an archaic Elizabethan term, like the word pastor, you know. But if you define it properly, you know, I, I mean, I use it myself, but you can also make the case that it's not a biblical word. It's a weaponized term, like the word pastor or angel, and it's designed to create confusion, and I actually, I actually believe that. I also hold to the view that all, all these words and the entire uh, English language is, guess what, folks? I'm going to unmute him. Now, if I had not been putting some context into this, this would sound like a very outlandish, extreme statement. But guess what? The English language is a punishment from God in the diaspora era, and that means that words like pastor, angel, and um, uh, and church are actually punishments from God as well. Now, you don't hear people talk about that. And one of the reasons is they simply haven't got to that point yet. You've got to get the basics down and then build off of it. They haven't even got there yet. My, my views are more well-developed. And it all comes down to one thing or one word, time. It takes time to develop a complex belief system. I did that because I had the time. Other people did not have the time. It takes time. So, uh, so where, where were you? Want to read there in uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 30, we were, uh, uh, verse 27? Uh, 30, yeah. We're skipping. Uh, oh, look at this here. Uh, in verse 23, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. When I bring them back from captivity, you see why these replacement theologians, I mean, this is, this is most Bible commentators who... Christian history, they're thinking this has to do with the Babylonian captivity. You can see that. Now, that is a prototype and a deliberate type of uh, historical event of the new exodus, but they don't see the new exodus. But see, the people are in captivity. When I bring them back from captivity, the people in the land of Judah and its towns will once again use these words. Okay, so you can skip down to... Uh, Verse 27, but that was right after the passage I read there about the unfaithful daughter. And the unfaithful daughter sure. is Israel. So start reading with Jeremiah it. 37. Jeremiah 31, yeah. Oh, you can read in verse 27 where it says the days are coming. No, sorry, what chapter are we on, Dave? Uh, Jeremiah 31, yeah. It's the one, yeah, sorry. Where it talks about the no, new I'm covenant. Gonna, I'm going to have to go in a bit. It's midnight here, and it feels like it's like one in the morning because of the time change, and I'm starting to fall asleep. Oh, okay. Well, you can leave any time um, if you no, want to go. Oh, okay. But um, let me give me a little heads up before uh, you want to go. Uh, so I, a lot of times people just drop off and go, well, I, I'm tired now, I'm going to leave. I go, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> let me know if you're fading or something, okay? Yeah, no. Well, it's midnight here, um, but like because of the time change, it feels like it's about one in the morning. So I'm starting to find a full sleep. So I'm normally in bed by about 10, 11. 
Well, you can go if you want, and I can read that pound. No, I'll just, um, I'll just yeah, you, go, you read it then, because... You want to go? Mess it up, man. And then I'll listen to you uh, finish reading it, and I'll go in a bit. Oh, is it because you're tired? Yeah. Okay. I'm having trouble focusing. Okay, in uh, verse 27, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Notice he's acknowledging it was being uh, separated. They became mm-hmm. separated after Solomon. and Now, that's a punishment, too. I'm an Augustinian. So I, an Augustinian is going to tell you, you know, this is a punishment. That's It's, it's all punishments. And everything is um, filtered to the punishment of Genesis 3. And uh, so anyway, I will plant the house of Israel and the house of Judah. They have to be reconciled. That's kind of interesting, because he does distinguish between the two of them. With the offspring of men and of animals, just as I, as I read this, think about, you know, a literal interpretation of what happens if you don't take it literally. That's what you want to think about. And that will tell you the absurdities of the historical view of the church before the 19th century, which was replacement theology, or what we call supersessionism. Another one of these big, long terms is created by Illuminati to create um, a gap between the academic community and everyone below them uh, through these absurd terms, which we have to use to communicate effectively, somewhat curiously. Just as I watched over them... Okay, this is an incredibly important passage, and this is going to confirm a lot of things that I have said. What what I've been saying is that God is doing this all through history, right, Dave? All the negative things, God is behind it all, and he's punishing his people. Now watch what it says. This is an amazing passage. Just as I watched over them. See, Christians believe that God is watching over them, right? He's watching over you, all right. Watch what he's doing. Just as I watched over them to uproot, number one, and tear down, number two, and to overthrow, number three, and to destroy, number four, and to bring disaster, number five. Is that what Christians believe God is doing? No, but they might like the next bit. (laughs) Now, you see why they would be motivated to say, well, that has to do with the Jews, not us. God's blessing us. We have a stamp of God's approval, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not what it says. So now you can see why it's absolutely critical to figure out who in the heck is Israel. And so what I'm trying to do is at least create suspicion. You know, when you're agreeing with the Watchtower and uh, dispensational propaganda and the Roman Catholic Church, um, I would call that a red flag, and you need to be suspicious, at the very least. But see, they're not even suspicious. So so that's what God's been doing all along. And when he's doing that, this is the era that we just talked about there in Ezekiel 34. You see that? So now, he says, now there's going to be reversal. This has to do with the New Covenant. It has to do with the restoration of Israel. And he says, now I will watch over them to build and to plant. Now look around. See, God's not doing this. Focus on one thing, the physical. 
We don't have any power. God's people are disempowered, but they've also been blinded, so they don't know this. So it says, in those days, people will no longer say, they have all these little Jewish sayings, and I, I, it's tempting to go into this, but I'm going to save it for later. It's not a great sin. But that, it, it's complex. Um, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Um, it has to do with uh, responsibility and judgment, and there's a parallel passage in the book of Ezekiel. Anyway, instead, everyone will die for his own sin. This is what I want to comment on, because this is very interesting. It says, whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. I just want to say that, how many times have you heard me talking about a corporate judgment? You're being punished. And people don't get this. I'm saying that you're being punished for someone else's sin in the distant past, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what it's saying in the first bit there. That's the basis for a corporate judgment. It doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, you could be punished in Jeremiah's day for the sins of that generation, but they did culminate over time, and you have this what's called a full cup principle. Yeah. Uh, where you're you're screwing up too, and so did everybody else before you. And uh, the thing, reason things are so bad is because it's been generation after generation after generation. I believe that that is what's being taught there, with 120 mm-hmm. years uh, in Genesis six, and that's the scholarly yeah. view. It's not talking about the the length of man's lifespan. God says the cup is going to be full. You got 120 years left. <laughs> Enjoy yourself, because then I'm going to destroy everything. So, yeah, so, see, what it's saying is that we're not going to be under a corporate judgment anymore. And guess what? This is massive. Are you ready? We're not going to be under the Genesis 3 curse. When the new covenant comes, Dave, that's going to be removed. See, we're still under the Genesis 3 curse. And we're under other curses as well. And obviously, people, Christians don't know this. And you can see that they are literally ignorant and largely unwilling to acknowledge that, acknowledge that they're under a Genesis 3 curse, and ask yourself, is it true or is it not true that when you go to a local church, they're always talking about blessing? Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Do they ever talk about, you know, you're under a curse? No. Well, so anyway, people in the, door, would well, uh, the reason I'm talking this way is to l- deliberately get people to think. So I just put the uh, in now. 30 to 31. So it says, the time is coming, here it is, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. There's your new covenant, folks, in the future, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will be not like the covenant I made with their forefathers. There's only two covenants, by the way, in the big picture. So the the question is, what are we under now? Well, guess what, folks? You're not under the old covenant, and you're not under the new covenant. Oh, my God. There's some things I need to talk about on this show. We do not have authoritative law. It's obvious, it's self-evident, that some laws should be intact. Thou shalt not murder. But see, here's the problem. If if we're under the, the, the law of conscience, which is my position, and this is actually based on what Scripture says in Romans chapter 2, where it's talking about the judgment seat of Christ, and it talks about the quote-unquote Jews... They'll be judged by the Torah, and the non-Torah observers, which it refers to as Gentiles, they're going to be judged by their conscience. Now, that's what Scripture says. 
And you understand that there's also been eras, which they actually talk about dispensational theology, by the way, where man is under the, he's, under, he's not under authoritative law, he's under the law of conscience. We don't have a concept of that, and the reason is why, it's very simple, we have a new mindset. Is it true or is it not true that all Christians have a new covenant mindset? Well, we're under the new covenant, we have all these blessings, blah, blah, blah. And you know something, folks? That's false. That's actually a psychological operation from the Roman Catholic Church, and you've been had, and the reason is, you're suffering from a corporate judgment that has to do with being blinded by God. Now, how many Christians are willing to admit that? They'll say, wow, they've had some interesting theories, but I never hear this anywhere else. So I'm just going to go with what I keep hearing, and that's what people will do. And you know why? Because God doesn't give you sufficient grace. He doesn't empower your will. First of all, he has to open your eyes. Then he has to give you, um, he has to empower your will, so you can do what? Act. And what does that have to do with? Change. Change your belief system. Based on what? Scripture. You know, is Dave giving these uh, personal, private interpretations? No. I'm just saying what the, the text clearly says. But notice that it is not compatible with Christianity. You see, you have a tension between the Bible and Christianity, and you will see this right on down the line. If you just understand one thing, how uh, replacement theology just completely twists and distorts these texts, all Bible prophecy, just like the Watchtower Society, that's absolutely shocking. Mm -hmm. Then maybe you would understand and respond. But Christians are impotent, and uh, they seem to be in a deep stupor, and the reason they, they seem to be that way is, guess what? They are. And there's actually scriptures that say that God has put them in this stupor. This is absolutely fascinating. So, <laughs> it says, um, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, when they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. Now, this is very, very important, because the new covenant has to do with the new exodus and the restoration. See, it all, everything repeats. But the good news is, is that things get done uh, the right way this time. I, you could leave if you want, and I could go back a little bit and dwell on uh, so, Ezekiel um, 30, I'll just read uh, it out, and, go and you can comment on it. Shall I just, I'll just read it out, and I'll go, and then you can comment on it. Uh, read um, there with uh, verse 33. 33, yeah. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be right my there? people. Yeah, I, I, that's a really important passage. Got to stop right there. Uh, so replacement just the the, replacement theology says that this has already happened, and yeah, it, yeah. it has to do with every individual Christian and their heart being changed, and they relate it to a very important passage in the book of Ezekiel where it says, I will give them a heart of flesh and take away the heart of stone, so they, they have the twisted verse. both those passages. They're not fulfilled yet. They have to do with the favor of God returning. See, all Christians have taken that passage, and they actually have an emotional attachment to it. They believe they're superior to the Jew because of that. You see that? The Jews mm -hmm. had a heart of stone, but I have a heart of flesh because of the new covenant benefits that I'm under and because of the blessings of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You're deceived, Christian. No, you don't have that. You have a heart of stone. Isn't that something? See why I had to point that out? Now keep reading. 
That's replacement theology. Pe- I will yeah, be their God. They will, not. they will be my people. Um, mm-hmm. um, if they read on, it says, uh, they will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the last, least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Yeah, you can stop they, here. Yeah, they kind of stop there. Obviously, the and notice the these come out the great wickedness, and see, it's confirming what I'm saying that right now we're under the judgment of God. That's the corporate judgment. This, they're all under it. You see that? Mm-hmm. See, God has not forgiven Israel yet, folks, and the favor of God has not returned to Israel. Stop assuming. That, um, that there's two Israels, and watch what happens. That's talking about you. You're suffering mm-hmm. right now under a corporate judgment that you didn't know anything about because you keep hearing, oh, you hear nothing about it, and all you hear about is the blessings. Dave, you're I'm going to have to go because yeah. I'm falling asleep there. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to go back to Ezekiel 20, and I'm going to deal with what you mentioned um, earlier, and I'm going to show that the remnant, there's a significant rem, uh, remnant that, that, that journeys back to Israel. Okay. Yeah. It's not just Caleb and Joshua this time. Yeah, uh, you cycle back round to yeah what I initially brought up, and I'll let you finish that off, and I'll catch it on the flip side when you um, when you upload it, because I'm going to have to go to sleep now. <laughs> okay. So it was nice chatting anyway, Dave. Um, yeah, I'll, take care. Let's do it what? again, and. Uh, yeah, it's if you're to get into the Bible, see what happens when you get into the Bible. That's what I did with White Raven, and uh, it's great, man. I might be about tomorrow. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, um, I can do this tomorrow, mm-hmm. so let me know on Facebook, okay? Okay, cool. Yeah, not a problem. It was cool chatting. Okay. Uh, God bless. Take it easy, man. Um, and I'll catch the rest when you upload it. Yeah, okay. Take care. Okay, bye, Dave. Mm-hmm. So, um... <clears throat> I'm just going to read uh, through uh, this pertinent passage in Ezekiel, which has the most information about the new exodus. The Christians don't believe in because they are suffering from uh, propaganda from the Roman Catholic Church that spiritualizes the text, and they don't believe in a uh, future literal exodus. Now, there's going to be a tremendous interest in this once things begin to go haywire, and Christians are are suffering in a way that they're not right now. And I'm talking about one thing, your pocketbook. Once the economy starts to slide down and there's there's increased suffering, people are going to look to God, and they're going to look for answers, and they're going to look for somebody that has information on truth. They're going to look for salvation, redemption. Uh, The Bible talks about physical salvation. It talks about physical redemption, and it uses those words in reference to the first exodus. There's a physical redemption the Bible talks about, and there's obviously a spiritual redemption. Christians focus on the spiritual. They're going to look for for deliverance. They're not looking for deliverance right now, but they will be. And then they'll have a sufficiently high interest level, and when they hear discussion about a place protection, they will be highly interested. I guarantee it. Just hearing it, they'll go, well, maybe that's true. I'd like to go there. Do you think it could be true that God actually has a place for us to go to? Yes, he does. He's provided. Okay. So it says in uh, verse 33, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will 
rule over you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and without poured wrath. Now, notice this wrath. This is very interesting. But um, this is a supernatural event. And the way you can prove that, this is a supernatural exodus, because there's different types of exoduses in Scripture. You see, that's an exodus event in Revelation 12:14, where it says the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle that she would fly to the place of her. That's what it says, literally, the place of her, her place. Uh, in the wilderness where she would be nourished for time, times, and half a time away from the face of the serpent. She's flying. She's not fleeing uh, like she did in, in Revelation 12.6, and I believe that's an event that took place in the first century. The reason that we know that this is um, a supernatural exodus is because when you look at the terms a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, which it uses again here, farther down in the text. You look at the context in Scripture, it's always used in the same way. It's talking about the supernatural events that took place in the first Exodus. It also talks about this in um, the book of Psalms. And actually, I'm going to read off some passages here where it does this. So someone can look it up, look it up if they want to. You'll see that in Exodus 3, 19 through 20. Also, Exodus 7, verses 3 through 5. Also, Psalm 136, verse 12. Psalm 77, 15. Exodus 6, verse 6. Deuteronomy 4, 34. 2 Chronicles 6, 32. This is very important. Because <clears throat> you have a false exegesis with replacement theology, and guess what? That's the historical exegesis of the church. And it has a lot of commonalities with Watchtower Society teaching. This is absolutely shocking. Now, I'm talking about before the 19th century. Uh, somewhat interestingly, things have actually deteriorated. I mean, I'm more concerned about the errors of dispensationalism than replacement theology. They're absolutely diabolical. And in... in, in uh, Dispensational theology, they literally stow every passage away from you that has to do with prophecy, because they don't apply to you at all. In replacement theology, they're spiritualizing them, but at least they refer to us. In dispensationalism, the church is raptured to heaven at the beginning of the uh, you know the Gentile-dominated church. I mean, some of them can be Jews. I mean, there's no question. Just because you're Jew doesn't mean you're going to be left behind. You can convert to Christianity. They teach that. So does replacement theology. Okay, But the quote-unquote church is raptured, and uh, then the Jews uh, have a prominent role, and the, the Gentiles are secondary. They're still getting converted, too, just like Dave and I said earlier, during the tribulation period and afterwards during the millennial period. This is the premillennial scenario, by the way. And uh, one of these days we'll be talking about premillennial propaganda. Very important subject. Did you notice that um, whenever the Illuminati portrays Bible prophecy uh, on the radio, they only allow one? version, I've talked about this before, in your local radio, that I've ever heard, and that's Christian Zionism, that's left-behind teaching, that's dispensationalism. One view, okay? Guess what? That's always premillennial. Now, people have an emotional attachment to premillennialism. You need to recognize that you have this. You like that, don't you? You do. And you don't want to change, do you? 
That's because you have an emotional attachment to it. And if I was to ask you, could you explain the most fundamental basics of amillennialism or postmillennialism or historicism? There's other, you probably couldn't do that. And that's all you've ever been exposed to, and uh, you feel comfortable with it. You don't want to change. Well, guess what, folks? All this propaganda from the Illuminati has to do with Bible prophecy. It's always premillennial. Stop and think about that. Aha! Uh-huh. See what we talk about, like a you know pink flag, red flag. That should make you suspicious. The premillennialism is not true. Well, it's not true. You can crash that with one verse. Well, you can crash all eschatologies with one verse or other verses. The passage I always talk about <clears throat> in Ezekiel 45:22, where you have this earthly prince that makes sacrifices for his own sins. That's not compatible with a heavenly Christ. So, see, premillennialism is based on the last eight chapters of Ezekiel. They make the massive assumption that this heavenly Christ is really on the throne of David. That's the primary uh, area in Scripture that premillennialism is based on, the last eight chapters of Ezekiel. But guess what? The heavenly Christ is not there. Instead, there's an earthly prince. This is shocking. You see, but if you talk about, you know, that God has blinded his own people, see, this is, this is perfectly consistent. But yeah, remember this one thing. When the Illuminati, and you know the Illuminati is going to want to put out um, theological propaganda about Bible prophecy. So, of course, so, so they did that, because they're in power. And so, now you can admire their handiwork. Well, guess what? As far as the media goes, it is always premillennial. And that will sink premillennialism right there. And if, if you don't think it's sunk, go back to Ezekiel 45:22, and that will sufficiently sink it. Bury that teaching. It's false. Remove your emotional attachment. Get your head out of whatever <clears throat> sand dune you sunk it in. And start thinking. Instead of believing what you're told, you'll notice that the Bible is not compatible with Christianity as you listen to this podcast. There's a reason why. You know, Dave talks about theological propaganda. And you used to go, I've never heard that before. That sounds really extreme, like a lot of things that Dave says. Well, guess what? I just proved there's theological propaganda. That's what premillennialism is. And you have an emotional attachment to it. And most Christians are too lazy or too disinterested. You know, they're overly confident. They believe that God is guiding us and we have the stamp of God's approval. Well, we completely destroyed that. See how Dave and I did that? We sunk that too. We don't have God's approval. We're under a corporate judgment. And part of the corporate judgment is we've been stricken with blindness. Did you know that all Christians are blind? Now, someone say, no, hold it here. You're not going to be able to pull that out of the hat. Look it. If it's a corporate punishment, everyone has been stricken. See that? Now, what have I said on the own show? I'm saying that everyone is deprogramming themselves. you got your entire life to do it, and I'm doing the same thing. 
And that's why my beliefs keep changing. I mean, when I started off, I was all, you know, dispensational, rah, rah, rah. I didn't know anything. See, that's what you get. They make sure that you're exposed to that early, and they indoctrinate you through the system. In the system, they control the information because they can, it's an institutional system that they control. They have their hands on the structure. So you really need to think about these things. Okay? So what's really important about this is that this will show you the diabolical butchering of the text. And this is the historical position of the church now, replacement theology up until the 19th century. No one can prove that wrong. So the scripture says, and we talked about this earlier, that God is going to literally scatter his people. That's the diaspora. That's a biblical word. Sometimes it says uh, dispersion, but you'll see it in James 1.1 1, 1 and elsewhere. It's actually a biblical word. And this is because of a judgment, it's, and this is a corporate judgment as well. It's outlined in Scripture. And guess who Israel is? That's us. And we are what Israel looks like in the diaspora uh, after um, a latter stage when God actually destroyed the sheepfold. You will not see a sheepfold there in Ezekiel 34. That's because God took it away. He's going to give them a place of protection at the beginning of the Exodus, and then he's going to restore the land. So there's more than one sheepfold there. There's a temporal one, and then there's the, the latter one, which has to do with the fulfillment of all these prophecies. Okay? Christians think they have the favor of God, the protection of God. You ever heard of a chemtrail? That will crash that right there. Because if you, have, if you insert a sovereign God that the Protestant reformers taught, that he's in control of everything, now insert what we've been talking about, all this punishment. Guess what a chemtrail is, folks? You ready? It's a punishment from God. How can you be sprayed by chemtrails every day and not have God involved? And Well, that's not God's will. Really. I pointed out before that if God has the ability to prevent something, and guess what, folks? He always has the, prevent, the ability to prevent something. You think about when he doesn't? Okay, so if he has the, the power to prevent an evil, and he does precisely nothing, what happened there? That was a movement of God's will, to do nothing. And that means that he willed it. So see, you have all these simple-minded people in uh, Christianity who, who can't think out of a box. They're always trying to get God off the hook. And they just repeat what they've heard, and they draw a false dichotomy between God allowing things and God willing them. Well, he doesn't really will anything that's evil. Really? Now, there's two different types of evil. There's a natural evil, and there's a moral evil. And God wills both. And the scripture goes so far as to teach what Augustinians is like myself teach, that sin is the punishment for sin. God punishes you with sin. And you'll see that expressly taught in the Bible, right, in Romans chapter 1, where God is giving uh, people in the distant past over to sin because they sinned. 
And guess what? He does the same thing to the Israelites. And there's a reason why Christians are being pornified today and exposed to massive corruption. Uh, it was unfamiliar to the secular mind in the 1950s, and this is why I say the Christians as a general rule are more corrupt than non-Christians in the 1950s. And somebody needs to say that, uh, because they weren't pornified back then, but we have been. If you're using a computer, uh, you're going to be pornified. You say, well, I don't look at those kind of things. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, the images are inescapable. Um, there are some things, there's some tweaks that you can do to reduce that dramatically. I'm actually aware of that. How many people do that kind of thing? I mean, not too many. You know, And your pastor's being pornified, too. This is why he doesn't speak out against R-rated movies anymore. You notice that? Uh, well, he's watching the Game of Thrones, too. Oops. Uh-oh. There you go. Um, this is a judgment from God. See, everything that is negative, you know, God is um, the sovereign Lord over his people. He is the great shepherd that watches over us. So if something bad is happening to the sheep, it passes through him. If it's happening, he'd allowed it. And if he allowed it, he actually desires it. He willed it. And most Christians, despite what I just said, they can't, uh, they can't think straight because they're thinking emotionally, they can't think logically, because we don't do that in churches either, okay? And uh, they're going to have to deprogram themselves, but it's probably not going to happen, because they need to hear people keep repeating that, and, and that's not going to happen. You're going to hear it here, and uh, probably uh, nowhere else. So, yeah, a chemtrail is a punishment from God. God is punishing you. And he's doing that for the sins of your ancestors, and the average Christian brain cannot, uh, they can't wrap your, their head around that. It's not going to happen. Not until um, we have authoritative teachers that start to speak the truth uh, in a public format. As long as it's off in a dark cubbyhole somewhere, we can just look the other way and continue to be delusional. How many times have I said that Christians are delusional? One of the things, you know, sometimes when we do podcasts, we don't intentionally uh, deal with a particular subject, but it's like that's what we're talking about all through the whole thing. Like the one I did with Frank on the value of knowledge is you listen to us dialogue, you can see, well, knowledge is very important. Knowledge is very important. Knowledge is very important. Okay? You can see, listening to this, that Christians are blind and they're delusional. They have to be. Now, I'm saying that God has made them delusional, and I actually hold to the view that all mankind is delusional just because of the fall. But they become increasingly delusional. And now it's gotten to the point that we live in what I call an open asylum, an idiocracy, which is full of uh, manufactured idiots that are a product of hundreds of years of social engineering. And that is God's judgment, too, because there are judgments on all of mankind, obviously. But Christians believe, well, that has nothing to do with us. Because we're under the New Covenant blessings. Well, we annihilated that, didn't we? We took care of that delusion. Okay, now what do I, what I want to point out here is that replacement theology will acknowledge the historical dispersion of God's people that it talks about here. He scattered them. 
But they twist the text just like a Jehovah's Witness, and they spiritualize the gathering. This is very important. You want to point that out, see. That's a cultic method of interpretation. Now, when Christians do that, we say, well, this is not a cult. And stop using those words, Dave. Don't use cultic. I'm a Christian, and I'm personally offended by you, because you're always putting Christians down and saying nasty things. And I don't believe that's from the Holy Spirit. You need to be more positive and upbeat like my pastor. <clears throat> Did you know that pastors are positive and upbeat? They have to be, or the people will leave. Because um, you're actually competing with television. That's the, the mindset that people have. Let me illustrate that real quickly. Did you know that in local churches there's a lot of clapping? Clap, clap, clap. You see this on television, you know, when you have these, uh, whoever's up there, you know, some Christian uh, teacher, evangelist, whoever. You know how people are clapping? You ever, you ever thought about how absurd that is? Guess what, folks? People didn't do that before the television era. You see that? They have been trained by tele-teacher and what does that tell you about where they think they're at? A soothing uh, entertainment environment? And that's why we're going to clap. And just like you have this delusional person in the, in the back of the church that shouts amen without any critical thinking whatsoever, uh, when, the, when the pastor says this or that, and he's just wrenching one passage after another out of context, and you have a guy in the background saying amen, and then the, the audience, you know, I mean, it reinforces. You know what that is? That's a cultic system, and somebody needs to call it out. Have you ever heard anybody do that? Yeah. Okay. And the same thing there when you're clapping. I mean, you get up there and just butcher one verse after another. And you're going to get up there and clap and send him money to reinforce the system. You need to rethink all this. That is the entertainment mindset that we have today. These people are just um, shuffling along in a deep stupor uh, with a bemused look on their face. And if they get bored during the sermon, which is not biblical either. Sermons are not biblical, just like a church building and a pastor, and unfortunately that's what local Christianity is based upon, those three things. Uh, if you get bored, you can uh, look at the back of somebody's neck and pretend that you're interested. That, that's Christianity today. Okay. And just, you know, we have the stamp of God's approval you don't, you don't have the stamp of God's approval. You don't have the favor of God, and you're under a curse. And um, actually, you're under God's wrath. I've never actually said it in the show. Um, Dave actually read that in an earlier passage, and I didn't say anything. Is it true or is it not true that the Israelites, I mean, the Scripture's explicitly saying they're under God's wrath. The Christian assumes, well, that would never happen to us because we're under the New Covenant. We're not under the New Covenant, folks. And we're under God's wrath. 
So it says, I will bring you from the nations and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered. Now look at that. The word gather and scattered is in the same verse. See what I mean about butchering the scripture? You cannot acknowledge there was a historical dispersion and then spiritualize the gathering. But watch what happens if you don't do that. You are going to have a literal exodus. And not only that, it's going to be supernatural. And that's what God is talking about. And what do I mean by supernatural? God is going to bring his people from who've been scattered over the entire earth. You see that? Now, the supernatural aspect has to do with more than one thing. It has to do with um, the beginning and the end in the middle. And what I mean by that, God's going to have to supernaturally gather his people. This is a horizontal rapture, which is what it's teaching there in Revelation 12:14, when the woman flies to the place of protection. So this is the first stage, and that's clearly supernatural. The last stage is when they leave. That is supernatural. That's what you would commonly associate with the um, the uh, the first exodus from Egypt, but it really has two stages to it, okay? Because God's people actually leave this entire society. They have nothing to do with it. They're not even um, there locally. See, before that, we're alongside it, but we're protected. After that, we're just simply leaving. And I was explaining before, this is when they come back. It's talking about the two people don't even know each other. I talked about that in... Um, Psalm 18, when I was reading that with White Raven, David talked about uh, a people, and I believe it's a prophecy about the, the coming Davidic king. He said, a people who do not know me are subject to me. I've never seen these people before. And it also talks about this uh, in Isaiah 55, and it mentions David again, and it talks about this covenant again. That's what we're talking about. The covenant is future. He's talking about he's going to make a new covenant through David. David is the messianic figure. And uh, uh, when it says that the, the nations wait for his law, it's talking about him. We don't have law right now. We have massive confusion. We have no authority. There's not a single authority beyond the apostles to even establish a law. Even if we're under the new covenant and you have new covenant law, we don't have an authority to interpret it just like the Jews don't. This is why they've tried to create authoritative rabbis, but they are still willing to admit that we need a messianic figure to interpret the Torah. We don't have that kind of humility. We think we got it all figured out. And at least they got one thing figured out. They know that the new covenant is future, and it has to do with the restoration of Israel, unless they're what a liberal Jew, and they butcher the text, like Christians do. You see that? In other words, it's not literal. Oh, you know, that's just a spiritual application. Notice I said liberal. So actually, the historical view of uh, Christian exegesis before 19th century would be basically a liberal understanding of Scripture. It's not be taken literally, it's just a spiritual application. And it applies to uh, the New Covenant blessings in the Church era. All that kind of terminology is from the Roman Catholic Church and, uh, and often the Jesuits. 
what's called the Counter-Reformation, and you are the enemy. And that's where the new propaganda came from. The Jesuits, and that was weaponized theology, and that's what most people believe today. Okay, so it says, I will bring you from the nations and gather you from the countries where you've been scattered, again, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with outpoured wrath. Now, this wrath is going to be against the nations. We can readily assume that. If it relates to God's people, I, I don't have absolute certainty about that. But God's people are going to be judged. And it says, I will bring you into the wilderness of the nations. This is the place of protection. This is what it's talking about there in Revelation 12:14. This has nothing to do with Israel. Uh, in, however you perceive that, you know, in the Holy Land, no, no. This is the wilderness of the nations. This is where you're going if you're privileged to get there. Okay, And it says there, at that place, face to face, this is very important. I could elaborate on that, but I won't do that. You can look that up, how that's used. It's going to be very personal, folks. There, face to face. You don't have to do with it. You're going to be confronted with God. Remember how the Israelites were scared out of their wits at the bottom of Sinai? These people are too. God does that to induce compliance. It's called holiness. See, our nature is so wicked that God has to scare us to get us to do the right thing sometimes. I know Christians don't believe that, but I just said. I recognize that. There face to face, I will execute judgment upon you. As I judged your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. That's absolutely critical. See, he's referring back to the first Exodus. Why? Because this is an Exodus event. And as I, Dave and I read this, and I said, it doesn't even qualify it here. It simply says, as I judged your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will judge you, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, if you just leave it right there, it looks like God's going to do the same thing. And, uh, oh, my God, oh, my God. I mean, maybe only a few people are going to make it, like Jacob and, uh, excuse me, uh, Joshua and uh, Caleb. We'll all be destroyed. This is what Dave was concerned about. This is why he asked this. He was talking to me about this on Facebook. But I said, no. Uh, the general rule was that things get done uh, the right time this way. And uh, God saves his best for last. But guess what? It's not going to be perfect. And if you look at all these passages that have to do with the rule of the Vedic king, if you look at Psalm 72, which is not talking about Solomon, it's talking about the Davidic king. It says you're going to have the poor there, and uh, at least at some time, and there's going to be suffering. Uh, as a general rule, things will get uh, better, but I believe that things will eventually deteriorate, and things will actually deteriorate with the king. We'll be talking about that. He's the greater Solomon. And it goes back to the same old thing that we talked about at the very beginning of this, that um, blessings do not induce holiness. What you need uh, from God is one thing in particular, and that's sufficient grace. Sufficient grace is the only thing that um, brings about personal holiness. Not externals. God can use those. Okay? He can entice you. I use 
that word deliberately? Through good things. He does this with young Christians, like a child, you see. But then you have to grow up. You say, I've got all these wonderful things for you. Don't you want to keep walking? Take another step. Take another step. Come on. He's encouraging you, you see. Unfortunately, the great majority of Christians never move out of this state. They are infants, and get it straight, folks. Paul was speaking to a church under apostolic guidance. If you don't think that that church was more mature than what we have today, you're delusional. We don't have apostolic guidance, but what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 2, and what did uh, the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews chapter 5, the latter part there? It talked about them being infants. You see that? This is the people under apostolic guidance. What is that? We must be embryonic Christians. Babies. Or do we even qualify as babies? You see that? See, we're inferior to them for one simple reason. They were under apostolic guidance. They had the Holy Spirit too, so that's not going to work. We have the Holy Spirit. That's the magic wand we wave and make everything better. Oh, we have the Holy Spirit. They don't even define it. It's just, you know, it's a simple statement people repeat, no critical thinking, because they want to paint um, Christianity, uh, make it look better, uh, to appease their own conscience. You know, humans are doing this all the time. This is why I've done these shows with uh, Jabber Ring, to talk about everybody's delusional. We're doing this every day. Uh, we're seeking comfort, we're seeking pleasure, and uh, in order to do that, you have to um, be delusional enough to make the world something other than it really is, which is actually an awful reality that only a few can acknowledge. You have to have knowledge, and even if you have the knowledge, you have to um, respond to it on an emotional level and acknowledge that you know, this is actually true, but I don't like it. Very few people can do that because we've basically all been psyoped uh, emotionally. That's where the propaganda is directed at the emotional mind, primarily. Because it's easier to manipulate, just like um, the serpent saw the weakness in the woman. She's the weaker vessel, and he went for her. Um, they do the same thing with the emotional mind of man. That's where they direct the propaganda. Okay? So um, it says, As I judged your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will judge you, declares the sovereign Lord. Now I'm going to illustrate that it's not going to be as bad this time going to be better. That's the good news. So God is like a shepherd, and he's examining his sheep, examining their wool, looking for imperfections. That's what it's talking about here. I will take note of you as you pass under my rod. That's the shepherd's rod. He's the shepherd. And I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Now remember in Ezekiel 24, it says they have no shepherd. Christians don't believe that. They're ignorant. This is what Scripture says. If you believe in the one Israel view, yeah, we, we don't have a shepherd because it says that he's going to give us a shepherd. This is after they've been given a shepherd. God's going to work through the new Moses, and he's going to deal with these sheep. That's the way it's going to get done. And there's going to be problems. You better believe it. We could say that for another show because Dave mentioned that just briefly. Oh, yeah. See, you would think 
uh, that people would just kind of go along with the show? Because that would be really dumb not to do that. Because you're going to have a guy that I believe that you can prove in Scripture. That's why that passage or the, the podcast is so important in room two about the new Moses in your Bible. He's going to work greater miracles than Moses, and you don't believe that. So that's why you need to listen to that and go, whoa. You see, it's all based on the simple principle, everything is bigger and better and grander the second time around. Oh, yeah. You see that? And it's going to be primarily manifested through him. And, you know, if you see the Ten Commandments, it's hard for you to believe. He's going to do greater things than Moses? Oh, yeah. This would make a great movie. So it says, I will purge you of those who revolt and rebel against me. Now, people have actually had prophecies about this rebellion. I've heard about this rebellion. People say, I haven't heard these prophecies. Well, here's the thing. God has to give you knowledge about the existence of the new exodus. Okay? If he hasn't given you that knowledge, he's not going to give you any auxiliary information about it. That would be true, wouldn't it? So it really depends on whether this new exodus is uh, is something that's, you know, actually going to happen. Well, of course. You see? So God begins with that. That's the starting point. So if you haven't heard anything, or you, you can be as suspicious as you want, okay? You're not going to be able to prove anything. But yeah, once God gives you the basics... He's already telling people about the future, and there is going to be a rebellion. And believe it or not, people have actually gotten some information. This is going to have to do with a relaxation in certain sexual morals. Oh, my God. Now, what if I talked about it on here before? By the way, this is not coming from me. (laughs) So I get off the hook. I've said that as the nature of man changes, whether for the worse or whether for the better, there's a relaxation in law. Uh-huh. You think that might have to do with sex? Uh-huh. And if everyone wants to know, what would that be? Tell us one thing, Dave. I'm not going to talk about that. I have some ideas, by the way. Nothing really authoritative. Some of it has to do with polygamy. Because you'll see right there, if you take the text literally, and it's much stronger in them. Septuagint, by the way, uh, in Isaiah 4.1, just take the text literally. We've been bamboozled by replacement theology. So you don't take the text literally. If you take that text literally, Isaiah 4.1, that is a prophecy of polygamy in the future. Now, that's just a fact, if you take it literally. Now, what does all that mean? Okay, we don't know. But we do know it's some about polygamy. And I'm just saying there's not a 50-50 ratio between men and women. And that is the fundamental problem. And uh, everything goes from there. But that would be an example of that kind of thing. I'm just saying people have had prophecies about this. So you're going to have people that supposedly are going to protest this, thinking that they are morally superior. And God's trying to – basically, here's what it is in a nutshell – Right now, I believe that God's plan is for a man and a woman to have a monogamous marriage, okay? And in the future, in the new creation, you're going to have people walking around naked, and they're not going to be married. And I actually believe they're going to have sex. So in a nutshell, 
this inter intermediate period is uh, kind of a changeover from what we have now to that, instead of just like an overnight transition like most Christians would believe, and they don't believe we're going to have sex in the future. Okay, I'll acknowledge that. But just take away the sex. People will be walking around naked, and some people will have a problem with that too. They'll be more like angels. Sometimes they're clothed, sometimes they're not. Okay? I mean, there's nothing wrong with this. Either that or you've got a problem with Adam and Eve, and you've got a problem with God. Okay? So anyway, by the way, people want to know, where's this out of my Bible, Dave? Or I'm not on that subject right now. Send me an email. <laughs> And so we're in a transition area, and this is actually God's agenda. God wants to do this, more of a gradual acclimatization, and there will be changes, and there will be protests, and people say, that's not in my Bible. You guys have corrupted yourself, and so they're going to take a high moral stand and protest. And you know what God's going to do? According to what these people have prophesied, he's going to slay them. You know why? Because they rejected the prophet. He's going to kill him. And that's what this is talking about. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but they say that that's the primary thing about this coming rebellion. Isn't that interesting? See? So, I don't know. And that's not in Scripture, by the way, but it does talk about a rebellion. There's going to be a rebellion just like there were with Korah, you see. There will be a, a repetition of certain things. And that's why it says, you know, just as I judged your fathers in the in the you know wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will judge you. You got all these Christians running around trying to uh, take this passage in Luke and saying that just as it was in the days of Noah, you know, and then they they run off in all these different directions and they say that all these things are going to happen again. No, they're not. It's just making a simple statement. They want to use that as a proof text because they. They're lacking information. They do the same thing with Satan. You know what I mean? The Bible doesn't say much about Satan, believe it or not. And so they want to take all these texts and say, this is talking about Satan here and here and there, because they want to know more about him. The Bible doesn't really have a very well-developed theology of Satan. I, I know people don't like to believe that, but um, <clears throat> that's what they teach in Judaism. I, I hold to a middle position between Judaism and uh, Christianity. Uh, it, it does have, uh, you know, sufficient information for theology, but it's not something that's very detailed. I mean, you, you can see that God is actually holding back information because um, in the present state that we're in, sometimes you actually, the less we know, the better, because look what we're doing with the information we have. We're, we're butchering it, like I said before. So apparently God thought that was a good idea. It says, I will purge you of those who revolt and rebel against me shocking because they're going to be protected too they're going to have blessings all around them and uh, they're still going to do the wrong thing it's the nature of man you know what I mean now here's what I wanted to point out one of the podcasts here I think it says although I will bring them out of the land where they are living the Bible talks about the land of the north in reference to a new exodus in, in Jeremiah 16 Yet they will not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, they're going to die and be slaughtered along the way. But here's my point. I wanted to focus on the positive. The remnant is going to make it. The only people that are not going to make it are the people that are judged. And uh, 
everyone else will make it. So that's my answer to Dave. It, um, it's not going to be just like a couple people. You don't have to be concerned about that. And there's a tendency to want to emphasize typology too much and say that God's going to do the same thing over again. There'll be uh, a number of patterns like that. And so it's it has commonalities with the past, but it's also uh, a distinctive work. So I've been in the closet, by the way. I got a roommate in here sleeping. Hi, Clyde. I was talking about you tonight. Hi, Errol. I guess I'm going to shut this down because we've been going for quite a while. I'd like to talk to you, White Raven, but uh, I try to keep these podcasts shorter. Plus, I've been on the phone for a long time, and I can't I can't be on this phone for hour after hour. It's a it's a house phone. There's other people live here. And I'm going to shut it down. Thanks for stopping by. This podcast will probably be hidden for a while. Catch you later. Oh, yeah, all positive stuff. Yeah, I was talking about you, White Raven, but it was all positive. Uh, the podcast we did on, like, uh, Delusional Christians. What's something about that? When I put that in the title, it's kind of a challenge. People listen to that and they go, ha, ha. They assume I'm going to have a negative attitude towards Christians that's not from the Holy Spirit, and they're in for a surprise. Good night, Errol. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, I didn't... See, I didn't have time to send out an email, and when I... I put something up on uh, Facebook, but uh, I didn't have time to send out an email because I was typing with one finger because Dave... He got on Skype right away, and I wasn't even ready, and then we moved to talk to He's over in England. And uh, I was typing the arrow uh, in capitals. Because I, I got the phone in my head. I don't have a headset. This is an inferior phone. If I had a headset, a quality phone, I could insert a headpiece, and I would have the other hand be free, and I could uh, type normally. <clears throat> but that's why I didn't send out a... Uh, an email message. So uh, that the same thing happened the last time I was in here. So I, anyway, I'll catch you soon. And uh, I was just thinking about calling you last night or something like that. We've got to get together and talk. All right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you listening. Goodbye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.